of Zapped to the Past. My name is Adrian Mills and I'm joined as ever by Graham Raddings. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. We're using the magazine Zap 64 as a monthly guide for the games to focus on, but we are in no way affiliated with Zap 64 itself. This week we're going to be looking at January 1987 and the first batch of games reviewed in issue 21 of Zap 64, along with what was also going on in UK music that month. Graham. Tell us what the new year has in store. In this classic roadside, greasy spoon cafe, belly busting, mighty full English breakfast of an episode, we explore the monster menagerie of Mongo for Ming with Flash Gordon, play hide and seek with the troublesome Targons in the disorganised assault machine, and polish our armour for a weird trip to the jungles of Camelot. That's right, I said jungles for a mighty bound or three in the confusing Camelot Warriors. We also dodge mini Buddhas, drink cups of green tea, and slowly scrap our way to glory in the pedestrian Yao Kung Fu 2, jetboard our way into level design fury with the ridiculous PSI. Warrior 2 before bracing ourselves for an overwhelming against the odds dogfight in the 633 Squadron Midway Battles of 1942. If that breakfast didn't quite pop your belly button and you have room for an extra slice of fried bread, we break out our fully armoured tinned meat rescue ship and take on the aliens in the isometric insanity of Panther, see if a game based on a kitchen appliance can deliver a fresh cup of coffee in the unusual kettle before finally grabbing our knapsacks, tools, weapons and spellbooks, checking our hit points, agility and multipliers and going on a full blown adventure in the bard's tale i killed seven dwarfs last time i went on adventure ad got loads of hit points though i'd best avoid disneyland for a while awesome 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 or not probably not playing these games who i'm can, gonna guess who knows? probably not who knows we're not giving anything away oh, yeah, yeah. Anymore. who knows i'm not giving could anything away could be bad but let's not give the game away no let's not could be finger licking good could be ass wiping bad we don't know <laughs> They didn't put that on their adverts for for KFC ever. Can Clucky Fry kick in? Yes, yes, exactly, yes. We don't want to invoke the anger of the colonel, do we? (laughs) No, because he'll come round your house. And peck your bloody eyes out. (laughs) Well, the problem is he won't leave. No, he doesn't. (laughs) He never leaves. He doesn't take hints. He sleeps on your sofa. Yep. Uh, He eats all your biscuits. And just smiles at you on every cup. I don't know what that means, but it's, it's something bad. That's all we need to really understand. Because <laughs> you go to your cupboard and he's imprinted his likeness on every cup. Exactly. He just brands your entire house. Anyway, <laughs> that's that's that whole chicken-related issue. That's a separate separate thing and a separate meeting, in fact. <laughs> Indeed. Thanks for listening. Uh, we've been zapped to the past. <laughs> anyway, anywho. Anyway, we've got a games to speak about. We've many games. We've got a few games to, to speak about. We've got four, I think, in this section. Yes. Um, the first of which is Flash Gordon. Flash Gordon. Gordon's alive and all Gordon's that nonsense. Gordon's alive. Um, Send yeah, out so Rocky Day Jax to bring back his body. Stick that in your <laughs> bingo calling bloody card. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to start singing. Not. I'm, re- no. I'm resisting the urge. No. 
Nor am I going to say non-spherical objects that come out of hens. I'm not saying that today. I'll just refer <laughs> no, to them as no. something completely different. Non-spherical objects that come out of... Do you say hen? Yeah. Oh, yeah, they are hens. I hope so. <laughs> Certainly not cocks. <laughs> no. That would be really bad. <laughs> no. I don't know what that is, and I don't want to think about it ever again. That's the stuff of nightmares. Um, anyway, Flash Gordon. <laughs> Flash Gordon. Um, yes, not to be confused with Flash Gordon. No. Um, a film you watched, I, under, I understand, when, uh, the, with, at the wrong time. Yeah, well, it was a seventh um, birthday party. My dad brought it home from the video <laughs> shop thinking it was Flash Gordon. All went wrong that night, let me tell you. <laughs> Absolutely. Many, many Bonds Bathers were lost in, at that time. <laughs> many Bothans died for that information. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, anyway, this is £2.99. Uh, this is a mad game. So Mastertronic's added dimension. Do you know what this was in the States, by the way? Uh, it wasn't Flash Gordon? No, it was called Captain Zap. Oh, why? Flash Gordon uh, was the thing I'm over there. Not sure. I, I'm not sure whether the, they didn't have the license to it or something. It was it was called uh, Captain Zap. So weirdly enough, I couldn't get Flash Gordon working on that on this PC. I managed to get it working on my laptop, strangely enough. But so I downloaded another version that was Captain Zap. Oh, weird. Um, it's just exactly the same game. Um, the weird thing is in the so there's little little weird ob- differences. So in this version, obviously, it's a three stage game, and your mm-hmm. quest is to capture or kill Ming the Merciless. Yes. Um, in the US version, you're you're trying to capture Targ. Really? Well, you're yeah. not having it. I'm the mayor of Targ. You're not having it. Bog off, Zappy. <laughs> well, exactly, Captain <laughs> Zap. But also, also you know, the on the title screen, you know, you, there's a picture of Flash Gordon and Ming and yes. everything. On the American version, they've given him a mustache, and he looks dead like Errol Flynn. <laughs> Bizarre. I'll put these pictures. I'll put these pictures in a tweet. Yes, so you, you can understand that. what I'm looking at. Yes, um, but yeah, it's really weird. So this is Captain Zap or Flash Gordon, whichever you, whichever takes your preference. Exactly the same game throughout, though. It's ex- the rest all right. of it is okay. all identical, uh, okay. but just it's just the uh, surrounding bits. So it's whether you want to play right. as you know, go Zap, go, or you want to play as go Flash, go, <laughs> go Zap, go. Okay, <laughs> it could do, I suppose. <laughs> um, but the game's still the same. Yeah. So uh, so as I said, it's just a uh, three. Three stage games. There are three very different modes of play here. There is a three very different games. So for three quid, you you know you get a, a quid a game really. Mm. Um, and so there's quite a lot here. So the first of these, um, <laughs> oh dear, I've done, I've done a misspelling in my notes because I've I said he's put his back in tit nanog fit. <laughs> no, I meant turn nanog. <laughs> you have been good. watching That's Flash Gordon, bit. haven't you? <laughs> I have. Yeah, turn nanog territory. <laughs> Essentially, what we have here in the first first instance is an ad, sort of an arcade adventure style game. Uh, the screen, the top third of the screen, is taken up with the action where Flash wanders about. The bottom two thirds of the screen is uh, a map which serves no purpose um, because it doesn't show anything <laughs> yeah. apart from a map which never I changes. Thought was, I thought that was my imagination, but that, you're right; it doesn't do anything, does it? No, no, it's just screen decoration. It's like <laughs> here's a map. So it doesn't do anything. No, it doesn't update. There's no way okay. to use it. It's nothing. It it's just a map. Just a map. It's just a map. Um, so the top third. So you side on. You're walking left to right, right to left. Every now and again, you can move up into the screen. There's a pathway that'll lead up. There's a pathway that'll lead down. So imagine turn on og, but with different, you know, more C64 style graphics, essentially. On certain screens, there are enemies that you must shoot. You only have a number of bullets or, or lasers or whatever it is, shots in your laser, which must be replenished um, by handily uh, dropped handbags, which I thought was a bit <laughs> weird because um, they just go up to them and it's like, there's obviously been some kind of party somewhere or there and there's lots of handbags been dropped um, and you go up to them and you just uh, you, you fill up your laser in them, so it's kind of cool. You know, it's all right. There, there are enemies to kill and they... they they range from wasps and birds to fire-breathing T-Rexes. 
Um, so it's quite the quite the menagerie <laughs> we have in this uh, <laughs> in this on that, this on this, on this Mongo planet. for you. What a what a place. Uh, I know, and Telegram for Mongo. Um, <laughs> there's also apes as well um, who fall down from the, oh, the jungle heights um, and who have to kill you. One shot from anything doesn't kill you, it knocks you out for a period of time because all this is set against a timer. You have a certain amount of time to make your way through uh, this section. And if you run out of time, then you have failed in your quest to capture Ming or Targ or whoever it is you're after. So that's what you've got to do in that section. Um, in, if you make it through that section, you get to a one-on-one fighting section. So uh, something like Exploding Fist or International Kratty or Barbarian or whatever you want to call it. So it's a one-on-one fighting screen. So you are up against Prince Baron, uh, who is one of Ming's... He- is he one of Ming's henchmen or is he just someone you, you've got to sort of turn to your side, aren't you, by beating him to a pulp, basically? It doesn't re- it's kind yeah, of a strange thing. Strange, yeah. He just, he, yeah, he, he respects being beaten. <laughs> which is a, a strange message it's unusual <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, if you beat him so this is it's a side on beat him up you've got various moves access to the joystick as you know as per normal beat him ups really one of them is a really weird back kick oh that's really strange it's like i don't <laughs> know how like, to describe like, that it's like a it's a break dance move it is it's like a, it's like you jump onto your, you jump forward onto your hands and kick back well yeah he, he, th- <laughs> he thrusts backward from his thumbs very powerful move <laughs> yeah. But, uh, <laughs> devastating. And, uh, you powerful. know, Ren's Prince Baron powerless if you uh, manage to land that. Proper I tell you, double shin kick would be quite painful in the right. You know. It really is. So uh, the scoring is weird though, and I quite like the scoring on it because it's a tug of war at the bottom. Mm. So at the bottom of the screen, in the bottom sort of third of the screen on this one, there is um, Prince Baron on one side, Flash on the other, and you essentially it's a tug of war. So the more hits you land, the more you pull the the, the rope towards your side. If you take hits, it goes towards Baron's side. Simple as that. The point of this game, it can go on for quite a while because obviously there's no energy. It's just how you, you get, you've got to get him to, yeah. you know, so over to fully over to your side. Out. Yeah, so it's a bit of a slugger sort of thing. I did find that um, it's pretty easy just to do the low punch constantly. Um, always and, a winning uh, choice. <laughs> it is, yeah. It's, uh, yeah exploding Fist Yeah, uh, another special. game you can cock punch your way through. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> just like life <laughs> yes 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 absolutely um so you, if you take out the prince you head off to the next level which is a 3d bike chase as you trundle across uh, a 3d checkerboard you know a la space harrier i guess is yeah, the closest thing ball, ball, ball blazer style it's a bit slow you have to shoot a number of birdmen from the sky then survive a minefield and then take down ming and there you go um, that's what you've got to do. It's the three stages. Uh, this stage is really hard to line up shots to shoot the birdmen. Um, I just, I, I'm pretty sure I was shooting them, but mm. I don't, I, the, you yeah, know, they're very sprite collision. That, I think, yeah, absolutely. I think the sprite collision came from uh, that. What was that game we played? Um, the World War Two bomber one, Hunters. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What was it? The the, the the bad Matrix version. Yeah, I think I just erased it. Hunter Patrol. Yeah. Hunter Patrol, that's the one. So it seemed very similar to that. I don't know whether it was. You, you Randomly, you might hit them, You, you, you but more often than not, they'll just kill you. And this is a bit of a problem because you because it's so hard to hit them. If you die here, you're back to the jungle. Mm. Um, so back to the start, you fail to catch Ming. And so fail at any stage and you go back to the start, which is a bit of a pain because the jungle the jungle part of this game is dull. Yep. Um, there's no beating around the bush. It's dull as dishwater. And it's so easy to die and be bored and jumping over the, you know, it's just not very good, I didn't think. The other two uh, sections are okay. The, the standout section in this for me was the fight section because that's actually not too bad. You know, when I wish they'd made actually more of that, I would have Highlander take note when we finally get to Highlander. Mm. But that was the other two sections because the, the speeder bike, and I, I, I don't want to use the word speeder bike, it's more mm. of a perambulator 
uh, bike. It was uh, a slow bike. It was a pedal bike. <laughs> I could just imagine Flash pedaling away, oh, trying to shoot Birdman. It's, it's, it gives it a whole new, a whole new image. <laughs> Get on with it. Pedaling. Better, <laughs> better jump on my grifter. <laughs> yeah. Need more than three gears, Flash. Come on. <laughs> So yeah, so I, I kind of tired of the first section pretty quickly. Mm. More, more more often than not, just because it all looks the same. I mean, yeah. it, monotonous doesn't really enter into it. It's just the same screen after the same screen. Every now and again, there'll be a crevasse that you have to jump over or a way leading up and down. And there's no way to actually map anything apart from handbag, trying to remember where the handbags mm. are. The third section was just a bit slow and a bit ploddy. And the middle one is okay, but, you know, easily cheatable your way through. Um, for three quid, yeah, I mean, if I... You know, looking back at it now, I think I played a fair bit of this back in the day. Mm. It's got a, you know, it's decent value. It's got a cracking tune. Mm. I'll give that. The Rob Hubbard uh, title screen tune is, is a really good piece of Rob Hubbard sci-fiism. One of his, one of his best, I think. It's a really good piece of music. I heard that on a lot, and I used it on a lot of demos. Mm. Um, I heard it in a lot of places. But yeah, so that's a good tune. So, you know, presentation-wise, this is quite nice. There's a lot here. You know, there's a fair chunk here for your money with three different types of games. It's just none of them are particularly brilliant, um, in my opinion. They're all okay, with, like I said, the fight one being a thing. And I wish you could have just had the fight one and, and in two-player, maybe. I don't know if that's actually a mode in it, but that would have been a, a nice addition if you could have just had two players for that. And I think mm. that would have that tug-of-war mechanic would have actually worked quite well, I think, in a two-player mode rather than just first to six or whatever i think they yeah. could have had some really good sluggathons um in that but as it is three quid it's probably all right for the money 89 percent though is a bit you know that's giving it a chunk of benefit of the doubt there mm. maybe because in lieu of other stuff this issue which i shan't say is good or bad i don't know I'm not quite sure what to think of it but it was, it was all right what did, what did you get from it did you enjoy it all or did you get the same or what did you think i thought there was quite a lot of game for three quid in all honesty i mean like yeah, say, yeah quid, i'm not saying there isn't no, no yeah. i thought there was that I thought there was quite a lot of game. Soundtrack's quite good, Hubbardy stuff, nice, decent. No, it's quite unusual, really. It's not quite what I expected, you know. For some reason, I always think Flash Gordon needs a more, you know, Flash Gordon film soundtrack, you know, like the Queen songs and that. But it was still quite good all the same. I didn't think Flash Gordon looked much like Flash Gordon. I thought he looked a bit more like Tron in this for me, but, you know, just yeah, really his Yeah, there is a bit of elements of that, yeah. But, in all fairness, the sprites are sizable, graphics aren't terrible, they move around at a decent pace. The first level is dull as bloody hell running around the jungle, you know, avoiding apes. Um, so it wasn't really that much fun. The second level is, the fighting level is the best of the three. It's still not without its pains because some of the moves aren't super intuitive. Like I kept finding myself when I was doing like a flying kick, I'd suddenly find myself like flying kick the opposite direction and just some silly stuff like that. But you know what? You just work the moves out as you go. Third level, sort of the shooty bird thing, I wasn't too keen on. But all in all, it's not a bad package for three quid and it's certainly good value at the best end. And, and, you know, the rainy day test being what it is for us, um, I think this would perhaps give you a, a reasonable shot at a good afternoon on a Sunday, you know, if you're bored or something. Wasn't certainly wasn't terrible. For three quid, it's quite a bargain, really. Just, I don't know, it didn't feel like it had a lot of Flash Gordon vibe about it, which is probably why it lent itself to Zap or whatever. Captain Zap. Because it had sort of Flash motifs here and there, but he didn't look like Flash Gordon in my estimation. My only real understanding of Flash Gordon is that from the very early TV series, which I honestly can't remember what Flash Gordon really looked like that much, or from the film, you know, the the weird film uh, with mm. all the various characters in it. And I don't know, it, it's a passable enough game. I suppose it's just, it's a good series of mini games at the end of the day for three quid. It's not supersonically Flash Gordon-y though, but the soundtrack's pretty good. So I enjoyed it for what it was. Yeah. I can't say. I don't remember, I don't remember Flash wearing a helmet. I think no, that's he doesn't. the thing. Well, no, he doesn't. No, not at all, actually. He's an American football player, isn't he? But 
Yeah, and on the title screen, he's like got that red, you know, that you know the tight fitting top yeah, on, yeah. and he's like, you know, but no helmet. It's just you know, you don't. So it's weird that he's got a helmet on. And I mean, imagine they've just kind of coloured it because that's the sprite colours they have. But yeah, it is strange. So it is strange. Yeah, it's, I, I think you're right. I think you, you know, I, I'm not knocking it. I think there's no. for three quid, there, there is plenty here, and it's it's of a decent high quality. I mean, it all works. There's no yeah, yeah. bugs that I came no, across no, or anything. No, so same. apart from the kick collision on the the last stage, yeah, a bit but, off, but but for three quid, yeah. you would yeah. pass your rainy afternoon, I guess. Yeah, yeah, you don't get plenty but to go out. It's a bit hard to work up any enthusiasm for it, though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think, and I think it's because it, they kill it first. They kill it all the enthusiasm when you're just wandering around the jungle of Flash Gordon. It would have made more yeah. sense to be fighting people in that jungle, I think. And you know, because in the Flash Gordon film, yeah. there's a whole all of the Baron's men are in there. In fact, one of them's the Blue Peter presenter who gets killed by the you know thing in the tree trunk, doesn't he? And they you know, oh, spare, to put spare me in. the madness and all that, Peter Duncan, or whatever. His yeah, name yeah. Was. So, yeah, anyway, there you go, Flash Gordon. All right. <laughs> for three quid, it's all right. <laughs> yeah, for three quid, it's all right. Yeah. It's okay. Um, okay, let's move on to our next one then. Which is the uh, Assault Machine. Um, that's Assault, not a Salt Machine. It's a machine assault machine salt, be, yes. Yeah, assume an Assault Making Machine, yeah. <laughs> um, no, so this is Assault Machine. Um, this is a full price one, nine ninety five. So, Graham, mm. tell us all about Assault Machine. Assault Machine is the... It's one of those nexus ones, isn't it? It's in that fancy packaging and all that. So, mm-hmm. so what that does mean often is that in the games themselves aren't necessarily great. Let's hold that thought. Um, <laughs> so the troublesome people of the planet Targon have constructed an assault machine like you do, which is designed to let them attack other worlds. And your mission is to step on the situation by using your combination of assault planes and your search robots, of which you have four and three, respectively. I'm not sure why, but you do. So you use the ro- You start off on the screen, you start off on like an island, and you've got a, like a map, and you send out your robots to map out the military capabilities of the Targons, and then when you find them, you search these little islands, and they find the assault machine and the industries set to design it and build it, so the factories and all that lot. Um, you choose your weapon weapons um so you can choose your payload or you can just click nah just do it for me because i can't be bothered which is an interesting thing and then you go through the process of the game so you start on the sort of a uh, an area that can't be attacked it's like a almost like a looks like a, a nice little beach where they could sit and have a cocktail it's like a you know sort of spanish <laughs> resort then you scroll across um using your control draft so using your, your joystick as like a controller and targeting the specific islands the robots then uh, scan them, and then you can launch an attack on those designed to first off get to the island, and then then you can drop your robot and blow stuff up. So it's kind of a game made in sort of stages. So the first stage is to search for things. The second stage is to fly your assault vehicle, airplane thing, to the island itself. And that's a, that particular part. So the first part's like an overhead view map, slide-scrolling map with a kind of a cursor control to select the islands. And you've got like a little menu thing to sort of choose your options the second stage once you've done that and you launch an attack you then after you after you pick your weapons you then you're in like a almost like after like a cheap afterburner so it's like you're in like a little afterburner you you, you control it by sort of going left and right but it kind of rotates in a circle in sort of that screen which doesn't actually help you in any way it's actually make it's it makes it almost seem like you're not really in control well you can control it but it's really hard to shoot anything with any meaning. And you've got missiles and all sorts of stuff, but I couldn't actually find a way of triggering any of that. Anyway, so yeah. I just flew to the island. When you get there, you've then got to deploy your robot to the surface who then searches for things. And it takes ages to search for things. It's the slowest searching robot of all time. It's like slow. It's like speed up, find things. 
Because <laughs> then the idea is, once he's mapped the things on this particular island, you then have to bomb the damn things and blow them up with your bombs. Um, and each one of these things is represented kind of a different type of graph type of graphical view so they when you fly to the island you get the kind of afterburner type thing then when you it turns into like a horizontal sort of scroller when you're sort of dropping the robot and doing that and that's under attack from the things on the surface and then um, the idea is that you've i think there's 10 islands to search and you search them and the idea is obviously find the islands find the pieces of the assault machine blow everything up and hey presto you've you've saved the day and you've stopped them pesky targons from uh, invading other worlds so that's the game. In, that is the game in a nutshell. Graphically, it's kind of. I found it a bit. The graphics kind of vary a lot in this game. They're not, and they don't vary from good to great. They vary from kind of not great to just kind of weirdly disorganized at best. It felt like the whole game felt weirdly disjointed and disorganized. Like it was several component parts of different games bolted together with some weird Targon based story. The only decent bit I felt that it all lacked a bit of polish. It all felt a bit unfinished in terms of its graphics. They're a bit bitty and a bit a bit boring of colour. There's not a lot of colour in this game. It's all quite dreary looking. In fact, the colour mm-hmm. of the of the tape case is similar to the game. It's kind of greys and dull <laughs> colours. Yeah. Um, yeah. It lacked. I felt it, the flight attack bit was the only really bit that was kind of action oriented because the rest of it's just kind of not very interesting. The search part is so slow. So the flight attack, which is kind of the afterburner bit, is, the, but even then it's not great. It's bitty and it's a bit hit and miss and it doesn't feel like your bullets are hitting anything. The sound was kind of just functional, really, for this. So it's kind of you know, noises you'd expect to hear. So I've said before that, you know, they haven't put a lot of effort into this particular sound effect, but they'll do the job of what they are. So, you know, launch sounds, you know, missile sounds and the sounds that you'd expect. But this is a lot of money for a game that doesn't really collectively work. And because of that, I felt that it was a classic example of a game wrapped in a complex-ish story, which then they just kind of mapped a story to the bits of mechanics they had working and didn't really give it much thought after that. This was apparently quite a long time in development. And there was a mistake. The reviews in Zap were mysteriously very positive for this because I didn't think it was that good. And it certainly don't think it was as good as they said it was in their review. They were quite, you know, quite. it got quite a good review overall. And I think... Even though it got fifty nine percent in the uh, in the categories, I think their comments actually were quite positive about it generally, which is kind of odd. So I think as disjointed as this game is for me, I didn't enjoy playing it. I didn't get that far. Maybe searched a couple of islands. I found that so laborious after you'd got to the island that it just just seemed somewhat crazy and it difficult, and it just seemed to hurt hurt your brain after a while because you're just like this is just it seems really petty. And it's cause remember that. You can also control the four robots at the same time, so you can jump between them. So you can attack one island and then go with a different robot, attack the one. So you can actually have four of these confusing games going on at the same time. And the, the view between them doesn't really alter for you. So when you jump between those, it's just almost the same looking thing four times. So mm-hmm. it's, it can get quite, you can forget which one you're on. So you jump to number two and then you go to number three and then you think, oh Christ, am I, which one was I a minute ago? Was I one or four? They're all kind of the same and just equally difficult. So the only thing I would say is a final sort of farewell to this for me is that in there somewhere and we've said this about other games but in there somewhere it felt to me like there was the genus of command and conquer and dune 2 and that kind of there's little parts of the game not so much the flying to the island part but little parts of the overhead views and the deploying of things on the ground and the way you go and fly over and pick your robot back up again and deploy and drop bombs little parts of early indicators of games that you know do that kind of logic obviously way better coming and conquer especially i just felt it just reminded me like it did with other games where we've just there's been a hint of something in the background you think eh, that's interesting but i could have been deluded at that point and just because i was so bored <laughs> to wait for them robots <laughs> to search for things. 
I'm not saying it's exactly <laughs> the same as Command and Conquer. I'm just saying that in there, there is there is parts of the game that sort of lend themselves to an idea of being able to deploy resources across a map and things like that. But might just be me wishing for the best. But what about you? Yeah, uh, this one for me. I'm going to just I'll lead with that, shall we say? Yeah. Um, the thing, uh, the things which I noticed about this obviously coming in as the second review, was just how much it rips off Star Wars from a visual point of view. (laughs) (laughs) It does a bit. Um, Because the title screen is a Star Destroyer with TIE fighters flying away from it. The droid that you have to stick bolts on is the... the, Emperor's, um, you know, Empire Search Droid from the start of uh, Empire Strikes Back. Yes, I mean it's not like it. It is it. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> yes. the fact that the droids are called Chan, Holmes, Bond, and what was the fourth one? It was another detective oh, one. Right. I can't, I can't oh, remember yeah, what it was off the top of my head. Uh, just it was like it seemed like loads of influences drawn from all over the place yes. to a thing which never seemed to coalesce into anything beyond some ideas. And I, I'll be honest, I never got to any of the islands. I just because I couldn't. I couldn't figure out what I was supposed to be doing. I just flew around a bit doing the afterburner stuff. And it did, I put here, it did remind me of some kind of early version of afterburner. Well, it's sort of a wobbly version of afterburner is what I put. It is wobbly. Which then it looked pretty rubbish. And I went, the sprites are very wobbly. The sounds are tepid. It's an interesting attempt at some kind of strategy come action game. Like, And I see what you're saying about, you know, that. Because obviously I've noticed that it's strategy and action into one, which yeah. real-time real-time strategy games, I suppose, would, would come yeah. out of that. But it just fails at all. Yeah, it's not good. Because and and I, I just didn't like. I just didn't like it because it just it's dull and there's nothing to really draw you in. And it's I didn't like you know when you put in the uh, stuff on the droids in the opening section yeah. and you can you can put stuff on them. What what was it? Yeah, it says missiles and bombs. <laughs> yeah, it's like but there was four four or five things and I was like, well, yeah. am I supposed to take them? Well, surely just put them all on and yeah. <laughs> take them all with. I don't know. It's not explained either in the instructions. I downloaded the instructions and it's not very well explained in there either. No, I don't. I didn't think it was because I don't think they quite understood what they had. There just seems to be this mm. genus of a thing, like oh, and 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 I, you know, I watched bits and bobs of other bits and I just it just looked like you said really dull. Mm. Like even the top down. Yeah, you know, the, por- the vertical scrolling shoot 'em up section didn't look particularly mm. interesting. Yeah, it's not. And so I, I just find myself get just being bored off this very, very quickly. Yep. I think fifty nine percent is particularly generous um, from my from my point of I view. I don't think it deserved anything uh, near that. No, I mean this is. I mean, I could. I, I may be being a bit harsh. It's probably p- perfectly average, so somewhere around the fifty mark. Yeah, but um, for nine ninety five, I don't think so. That, that's a that's a real kicker. I mean, you know, it's you a lot could of get, money. Yeah, you could get three and a bit Flash Gordons for this. <laughs> or f- five kickstart five kickstarts you could or whatever you thrust you know you could have you could have five commodore 64 set up all playing kickstart yes i mean if you if you were like if you were like the king of king of europe and you had that much money <laughs> then you could probably do that yeah. but but it's probably better than playing assault machine on your one commodore 64 yeah i think they again i think they heavily it's a it's a game that's heavily marketed and so it's and by that, I mean, it's just, you know, what they laid on the marketing thick for this. So it came with a fancy packaging and it's... Don't forget, this is the game that had no screenshots of itself and an advert for another game at the bottom of it in its advert. <laughs> but, but I mean, it's like, you know, it's the, the box and the fancy packaging. The game's packaging so good, we want you to look at another one. <laughs> I think that they were all they were all packaging and, and no substance. You know, all package and no, and no, uh, nothing in it, really. Nothing in yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. They were they were all sock and no <laughs> no filling. <laughs> okay. I think yeah, that. I'll go with that. that that's that's what they were. They were they were all wonder bra. They were, yes, they were just a, yeah, a vacuous empty shell of a game that deserves no more time and effort from no. us in this podcast. No. So let's move on to another game that may be better or worse. We don't know just yet. We can't decide. No. 
But that game... <laughs> it's Camelot Warriors. Camelot! <laughs> Camelot. 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 It is a silly place. Yeah, this game is... Come to think of it, it is a silly place. Let's not go there. <laughs> yes, let's not go there. <laughs> do, 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 do. Uh. Right, so Camelot Warriors. So what we've got... Um, my first note on this is somehow someone has made Spiky Harold worse. Yeah, there is hints of other crap games in this, isn't there? There's so many <laughs> to choose from. This is such a, a weird, strange game. So Camelot Warriors, you play a knight uh, for the first part. And, and there's, I got to the second part, but I will get to that in a moment. So it's a it's, it's a flick screen platformer, but some of the screens scroll, yeah, which that. is kind of it's kind of odd. Pointlessly, really, they're just extending the playtime because nothing happens on them. So you, you play Camelot, you you go, you you fall asleep. So, but the story is nonsense. You something about you falling asleep and you wake up and you're this knight and you've mm-hmm. got to go collect some things to appease King Arthur or some nonsense like that. It's some <laughs> utter yeah. gibberishly nonsense. Well, just to clear, clear, you've got to collect the four elements to appease Asnat, Kindo, <laughs> Azomic, and King Arthur. All right, okay. Just so you know. Well, all right. Well, one of them's a light bulb. <laughs> could be Azomic the Dragon Lord, Kindo the Lake King, or Asnat the Forest Druid. Oh, I think it's him because it's where you start, isn't it? Yeah, Asnat. It sounds like he sneezes a lot. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or oh, he should have a suit on because uh, <laughs> he's got dangerous biohazards all around him. Put your Asnat suit on. Put your Asnat suit on. <laughs> <laughs> what have you come as? Asnat. <laughs> uh, the game offers you the ability to jump and swing a sword. <laughs> it does. That's it. And, uh, but only swing a sword at one particular angle <laughs> and, ho- and hold it there. Yeah, it uh, unless you pull down and then it swings it repeatedly. It's so bizarre, this game. Really and you can strange. walk left and right. <laughs> there are some multiple enemies to avoid and try and jump over with you. You have a mighty bound, I've written. <laughs> I don't know, because it, it, it goes beyond jump to a mighty bound. Yes, it is uh, <laughs> quite the leap for that. That's what that's what made me think of Spiky Harold. It's far too far. It's way too big. There's no reason for you to ever jump that far ever. Apart from there is, there isn't. <laughs> but it's just ridiculous. Um, the first thing to collect is a light bulb. What is this game? What at one point did anyone go? Yeah, you're. A, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, it's gonna um, say that's exactly yeah, so, the so sound you, that goes. See, so you game. fall asleep and you and you wake up and and you've got to find these objects for these characters exactly. around King Arthur. What like Merlin? No, Asnat. Yeah, <laughs> you remember him. <laughs> you remember him. Yeah, no. Asnat, Gizmo, and Bingo, whatever the name were. Maybe we should make the box sword shaped for the game. <laughs> <laughs> so if you collect the light bulb, you can take it to the nearby wizard who will turn you into a frog. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> allowing you to enter the nearby pond. But that was as far as I got because, and here's where the problems start. Well, actually, no, the problems have started way before this. Start <laughs> there. Start way before this. But the game respawns you. Where if you so if you walk off, I don't know. Did you get this far? No. All right. Well, <laughs> no, I you, didn't. There's, there's that. There's that spiky. You, you get turned into a frog. And you, there's the, the lake. There's the pond. So if you walk off the edge of the pond, you fall down onto the next screen. Now the problem with the game is is what comes up next because if you fall off, there is a jellyfish just under there that is timed. You just fall down the pond to hit you immediately. Oh dear. The problem is the game respawns you where you came on the screen. Oh dear. And it respawns the enemies back to where they started. Oh dear. So you're in a death loop. 
bad and game design. To, to get to get this far, I had this was one point, one game, and I've only ever done this for this one game because I just wanted to see it because I was dying so so quickly, and I wanted to see if I got somewhere further. I turned on the infinite life cheat. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, so I just infinitely sat there watching myself die. <laughs> God, that's bleak. It was like, oh dear. I was about three hours. That's the curse of infinite <laughs> life. Absolutely. I thought I was in some sort of. Uh, uh, Swedish. You actually got sort of Connor McClouded. Swedish film. You, you, I did. You got Connor <laughs> McClouded. He gets oh, trapped in death loops all the time. Oh, it was dreadful. Yeah. So as we said, you just pulled the plug and, and walked away from this nightmare of a thing. It's, uh, put your own a dream in this, and the game is a hellish thing from some fever dream. Awful nonsense. It should have been playtested, and then the dev should have been slapped for wasting the playtested time. That's what I think of this. It's dreadful, awful, because it starts off. You know, the, the sprites. Are they okay? Are they not? I couldn't tell. They're so weird. The whole thing looks weird. Those owls, why are they owls? Why does the game start off with an owl that suddenly just dive bombs you and kills you immediately? <laughs> um, why is the, you know, if you jump straight away, you'd die. There's just death. It's just death everywhere. And there's no fun in, to be had in this. To, you know, the only amusement is to have is that mighty bound. Mm. Stupid and rubbish. Camelot Warriors. I've never heard of it. Never played it. Never heard of it. N- didn't come across my radar back then. And I'm and I'm I'm sad that it's come across my radar now. I thought this was awful, yeah. awful game. Forty four percent. I don't know what they were smoking. Probably whatever they were on when they made it. Yeah. Um. But this is dreadful. Did you get anything from this nonsense? Only a really intense desire to smash my computer to pieces. <laughs> um. It's awful. It's awful. You, know, you can't wrap it in silly names and make it good. I don't care who Kindo the Late King is. Um, <laughs> I had no desire to meet him. I don't like games where I can <laughs> jump quicker than I can walk. Which is weird. So just you just end up yep. jumping around all the time. His sort of swing was bizarre to say the least, and wild at best. Um, <laughs> the graphics were they were all right-ish, but not great. Not great. It looked like a knight, I suppose. Um, he, had a, he had a jolly walk. He did have a really. Cause it's just honestly, it's just like I think this. You've said it before. I think someone had had Camelot explained to them by somebody that was clearly very high. So that, so I've got this game to make in Camelot. What Do you know anything about it? Yeah, Camelot. This is a place where there's like a jungle and there's like you get sent to a frog by a light bulb on this kingdom of the light king. Don't forget that. None of these things apply to the realm of King Arthur. None of them. Not once did Merlin, who's not mentioned here, by the way. No. Why isn't Merlin in it? Why has it got Asnat, Kindo, Azomic and King Arthur in it? Why are they in it and not Merlin and Uther and... Mordred and just you know people that are actually in that realm anyway does that what does that matter really uh the level design is as you'd expect on something like this confusing and ridiculous um it scrolls sometimes jumps and others it's like it is you know it's a, a dream to some a nightmare to others this game it's awful <laughs> i thought elidon sprang to mind at certain parts they mentioned that in yes. the zap review i, I once yeah know, elidon was a bit more accomplished and finished than this but there's it it a look absolutely way more a similar look so Elodon's, I don't think it's fair to compare it to Elodon, other than that the sprites are about the same height, maybe. So, yeah, and it's got that sort of fairy tale nonsense yeah, vibe. It's just, not nonsense, but fairy tale vibe sort but of thing. It's you know, medieval just lifeless, dull, clearly half finished crap. And I found this a tirade of nonsense upon my eyes, and I didn't like it. So I shall not be visiting Camelot again as far as this game is concerned. So stick that no. in your pipe, bloody kindo, and your craziness. It's just rubbish. <laughs> why? Why make it's very leapy. Like you say, his mighty leap was stupid. Why? If if you can leap quicker than you can jump and and you're playtesting that game going, This is great. There's something wrong with you. There's something very wrong with you. Unless they actually do that, unless as a physical reality for them, they can jump 
faster than they could walk, <laughs> which I imagine you'd spot him easily, the guy that designed this, because he's leaping around, just getting about. Very <laughs> there difficult, would have been a so. documentary about him on Netflix by now. <laughs> there would have been, yeah. The leapy man who made uh, Camelot Warrior. <laughs> just crap. Avoidable crap. Rubbish. Don't. And then I never came across it before either, like you, so it wasn't like it was some revelation no. for me. You know, oh my God, Camelot Warrior, not that great game. I just thought it was crap and not worth any more time than I've given it. So Did you notice as well, sort of thing, that for, for no reason there was a, like, 10 sprites on the title screen there's 10 owls yes like so there obviously was a sprite multiplexer working somewhere for no reason because it's never used that i could see ever anywhere else in the game yeah cheap a cheap version of a multiplexer just based on its on its you know oh uh, yeah yeah line but it's still just a weird a weird thing to Point, uh, yeah just it was a proper yeah look at this i've done that is it in the game no no oh, all right no, no, no. <laughs> It's okay. just a weird thing. It's a the really whole thing weird is game. Weird. Why parts scrolled and others didn't? Who knows why? Yeah, I think happened. this seems to crawl have crawled out the same hole as a uh, necromancer. Yep, and it can crawl back in it. You yeah, absolutely. take as that with him. <laughs> and Gizmo and Bonging, <laughs> Kindo the, the Lake are. King. Surely that should be <laughs> the Lady of the Lake. Not. I don't believe she was ever referred to as Kindo. <laughs> all right, Kindo. Um, I think that's Galadriel to you. Uh, all right, we'll call you Kindo if that's all right. And now let's meet a zomic. Galadriel's not the lady of the lake. Oh, I'm just, you know, it's better than Kindo. That's <laughs> true, because that just reminds me of chocolate. Kindo, Kindo surprise. Yeah. Kindo surprise. Asnat the, as, as the suit. I've watched the, the films, the King Arthur films, all the variations. I don't remember there being a dragon lord in any of them. But you know what? You know, in those crazy 80s, things can change on a daily basis. Anything's, anything's up for grabs. That's yeah. Camelot Warriors. Just crap a lot warriors yes there you go that's that one let's move on to our last game for this section for this week and that is yes yeah, coming up now because it's uh Yia kung fu 2 so graham a, a, a sequel to Yia kung fu has appeared tell yes. us all about it yes it has it's not a classically great loading screen <laughs> um, it's an attempt at drawing the kind of cover art for the game, and we and it's the crap vert which we've discussed, I believe, as well. So, we have so that, it's yeah. you know it's that confusing array of Bruce Lee meets Emperor Ming. Anyway, it doesn't really apply to the game, as we'll find out. So the first thing that's going to strike you about this, and I'm going to mention it straight off the bat because it's the, probably the only decent thing about the whole thing, is the music. It's a Galway Martin Galway piece of music. It's very strange, very strange. It's yes, a lovely it sweet piece of music. Don't go with this game in the slightest. Doesn't no. go at all. Well, it's a lovely, sweet piece of music for the first half. Yes, yes, and then true. It's all really weird. It's just, it's, <laughs> what, it's just the whole thing is this whole game is weird. It's weird the yeah. fact that it exists, the fact that it it feels like it just feels really odd. So I don't think the music suits the game. This title music doesn't suit this. But then again, you could argue that the uh, Kung Fu title music didn't. But the in-game music's kind of more the traditional, you know, sort of thing. Yes, it is. The aim of this game is to defeat uh, the Yaiga Imperator. Imperator? Imperator. Imperator. Yen Pai. Imperator. Sorry, that's better. Yen Pai and his seven glorious followers. His seven glorious followers each have their own unique ability and weapon style, and you have to basically fight them. So, your first one is you've got Yen Pei, who fights with her long hair. Lin Fang, who fights with a steel fan. Po Chin, who has fireballs. <laughs> Wen Hu, who just has a mask. Just has a simple old mask. Don't do a lot with that. Fires out of here. Wai Chin, who was a boomerang. He's a big chunky guy, that one. Mai Ling is the very short skirt wearing dagger thrower. Um, bit, bit, bit conspicuous, that one. Han Chen, lobs grenades. Bit of a cop out that because, you know, don't rely on a lot of Kung Fu. And then you've got Lee Jen, who flashes, according to the uh, Wikipedia page. So make of that what you will. Flashes at you. 
Anyway, so uh, so the idea is that you are actually related. You are the son of Oolong. So U not so long. Who slightly less long than Oolong? Who, what you call him? What you like? You're the son of Oolong. Bob, Bob, Bob Long. Or, as I like to call him, the Sue Long. Um, so you are the Sue Long, and you are walking along levels, backgrounds, let's call them, in this kind of in a flick screen, sort of slide screen kind of way. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah, it's hard to describe that bit. And your job is to fight these people and defeat them in order to you know beat the main boss, and that's it really. So it's kind of a mixture of yeah, kung fu, a little bit of kung. Fu, Foo Master in there, a little bit of that. And it's slow. The game is slow. These fighting games shouldn't be slow like this. It's frightening from the get-go. Mm. The, it's slow. The pace is too slow. Kung Fu is like lightning fast martial arts. Lightning fast. It's famous. It's got... If you watch a Bruce Lee movie, he's not famous for his slow Kung Fu. Neither is Jackie Chan. They're, actually, it's quite a fast martial art. Might not be very powerful or might not even be very good in MMA. Who knows? That's, you know, I'm not an expert on Kung Fu. But I do understand that Kung Fu is fast. So when you play this game, it's not fast. So it's, yeah, Kung Fu, in brackets, slow. Slow down. It's slow. <laughs> even the leaping and jumping around, it's slow and laggy. That's the, those aren't things you want to hear when you're playing a game that's based around a speedy Kung Fu, especially on the back of Yeo Kung Fu, which was an arcade conversion that it had, as we described, some issues, but it, it captured the essence of the arcade, it's certainly in its speed and its sound and the way it played. It might have been a confusing array of madness, that game, as it was, and you got beaten <laughs> by one particular character every time in the same way, but it did look and play like the arcade. This isn't, I don't think this is based on an arcade, or at least if it is, it's not one I've ever seen, but it's this version is laggy, and that is a problem in a game like this. There's loads of moves, loads of moves to master in this game. You'll never ever find them all. They're just random because hitting the characters just seems completely arbitrary. Worse than it was in Yao Kung Fu. And that was one of the big problems of Yao Kung Fu is that it never really felt like you were doing anything other than standing in front of somebody and then waving your arms and legs around until you actually hit them in some way. And it's similar to this, but slower. So the fights, which means the fights in this game are crazily difficult. It really, really like silly hard. So you're trying to do the moves. You'll never master them. In a million years, you'd never get to the bottom of them, which makes the game unrewarding and difficult. And because of that, leading to this sort of scrolly, the background graphics and the actual main graphics aren't terrible, terrible. They're not great. They're okay, but they're quite small. They're all right, but, and they're quite brightly colored, but the game is unfortunately a Kung Fu game that is dull. And in my book, that's unforgivable because we've discussed this, you know, this is Fist 2 territory, you know, making a, making a fighting game boring. The Air Kung Fu 2, fighting game boring. So I thought it was a real miss, which is a shame because I think they, if they'd have really thought about it, and my main last comment is that that's the big problem, is that they didn't think about it. This was just pushed out from the anus of some game developer and it just <laughs> popped out like a ready-made, I'm not going to use the word, a ready-made pod. And out of that pod, <laughs> this, this game appeared. So it's, uh, it's a load of uh, dog pod, this for me. <laughs> Um, but what about you? Did you like it more than that? Because I, I didn't really yeah, like it. Well, it's, pod, right, pod, but... it's pod of the cat. Yes, it is. It's, it is cat pod. Absolutely. This has been meowed out. Um, <laughs> so it's a str- I put it's a strange and bewildering sequel. Sequel, it sorry, is. that tries to add some stuff for reasons and, and just fails on the speed. And I know, you know, it's, it's slow, isn't it? It's really mm, slow. Slow. And any kind of impact from the first game, like having to traverse boring screens of full of floating little mm. buddhas. You then face off against a boring enemy. Which serve no point purpose. Realize, no, what purpose did they serve? Well, if you kick them all in, you get green tea, which gives you power ups. That's the only. That's the only thing. But it's almost impossible to do without losing all your yeah, lives. Absolutely, because you, when you get three of them coming at you in a row, one in the middle, one at the top, you can't. The, you, the no. moves cannot be done fast enough for nope. you to to hit them. So 
so the input is too slow to react, and any move you do, it stays on the screen for too long as well, doesn't it? You do a kick, and you're like there for ages going, ha, look at me, look at me, I'm doing this kick. It's like Jean-Claude Van Damme. It's like whenever he does a move, I expected it to sort of slowly spin around and go, hey. Yeah. That's what it felt like. It's not snappy enough. You just want the move to go, done. You know, just do do yeah, yep. it, just, just just see the sprite move out and come back. Not stay there. So I find myself getting frustrated. And then when I died, faced with three boring screens to dump through again to get to the first fight again. Um, and it properly died as he ran out of lives. Yeah, just boring. I'm not mm. sure what those screens were adding. I don't. I don't understand. You just jump over them. Yeah, and move. And I, okay, well, you can kill them all, but you can't kill them all, so it's pointless. No. And then you end up dying to them. You know, and dying to dying to floating buddhas is not my way of spending. You know, a good Saturday afternoon. No. It's, it's not. You know, not even a Sunday afternoon. This is not good. And this is nine quid as well. This is a full yeah. price. You know, Ooh. imagine game. Shocking, really. The graphics, that. as you said, the graphics are okay though. You know, visually it's all right. It's not terrible. Yeah. I've seen a lot worse. The sound is. It's not one of Galway's best, as I said. But although I did, the first half of the opening tune is great. It's just when it goes off into that weird. But you like, you got bored, didn't you? You got bored. But that's so strange. And it just, it feels. I don't know. It's a strange release trading on the Gia Kung Fu name. Um, yes. Exactly. My final comment on this is odd and disappointing. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Because I like Gia Kung Fu. Problems and all, I don't mind it. I'll still go back to it and have a play on it every now and again. And I like it. This, on the other hand, slow and not not rewarding and not enjoyable and mm-hmm. i did not enjoy my time with it which is yep. a, a shame because I, I don't i don't remember much of it from back in the day and that probably tells me why yep. uh, uh, i must have looked at it and gone no not for no. me no no uh yeah kung fu poo yes unfortunately go. it did have a two-player mode where you could pick i think one of three different players to be in the sec- as the second player i think you can choose I forget the names of the, the characters you can choose from, but you can pick between three of them. I think it's Yai Pai. I can't remember the names. Yin Yang, Ching Pang, Po Jin. Doesn't matter. You could there was a two player variant, but it isn't going to help. It's just two player slow. <laughs> it's yeah. just you know two, two play. It's just naff. Nah. Yeah. No. That's a disappointing. Apparently, according to the blurb, by the way, those mini Buddhas are actually called dwarf warriors. Mini Buddhas is better, I think. <laughs> I think mini Buddhas. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're yellow, aren't they? They look yeah. like they look like small small giant homers when he's yeah. made of gold. Um, it's what I thought. Yep. Anyway, there you go. So uh, that's the end of this section where we've looked at Flash Gordon, Assault Machine, Camelot Warriors, and Gia Kung Fu 2. A veritable feast of quality, I'm sure you'll agree. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, on that note, let's uh, leave you uh, with words from our kind sponsor, and then we will move on into the music section. So stick around. <laughs> Big hugs to our sponsor, DavidHearnWriter.com, where you'll find bargain books, ebooks, and audiobooks. Let's hear a sample from his fabulous audiobook, Back in Time for a Donut, read by the amazing Lucy Dwyer. After the jaffle, I'll hit Galaga at Netherworld. It's the best, you know. Galaga Schmalaga, objected the driver. If you're talking retro games, how about Moon Patrol? That buggy had guns, she snickered. He looked in the mirror and put on a cheeky frown. I'm serious. Do you know how much faster we get from A to B if I could blast those rude drivers who cut me off or steal positions in merging lanes? Boom! She waved his nonsense away. She looked out of the window, taking in the bright city lights and metropolitan sights. Brisbane sure was a pretty city. London, Paris, Berlin, Hong Kong, Tokyo, all memorable cities, she mused. Yet despite their sights and delights, they couldn't beat Brisbane. Ooh, brilliant stuff there. Visit davidhernwriter.com. That's David, H-E-A, 
rnewriter.com to find out more. Welcome back. This is the music section. We've got lots of music for music in January 1987. I don't know why it still says 1986 in our notes. I'll just change that now so I don't get confused. Music in January 1987. We've Mm. got past Christmas. um, And what have we got going on? So for the first two weeks, um, Reap Petite sticks itself at number one. Um, That's the first two weeks. Mm. Sold over 700,000 copies. Yeah, it was reissued because of a claymation video on a BBC documentary series arena. That's how it came to be. That's how it got released, allegedly. And the video was directed by Giblets, a London-based animation studio. And this reissue was so popular in, in 1987, sorry, December 1986, it was almost three years after uh, Jackie Wilson's death. So it became number one, selling over 700,000 copies. Mm. Strange that, though, isn't it? How this was popular on the back of a BBC thing, just in time for them to be able to not have the House Martins at number one. But there you go. We discussed that last time. Yeah, we did. We did. We, did. we, rolled, our, we rolled our eyes and, and looked shiftily yes. to the side and, and back again. Yes, we did. Like, dun, dun, dun. Every now and again. For the last two weeks of the month, Jack Your Body. Jack Your Body. Jack Your Body by Steve Silk Hurley was uh, uh, num- next number one. Classic uh, house track. Classic, yeah, the title refers to jacking. Track. Yes. An ecstatic ecstatic dance style that emerged within the Chicago house scene from the early to mid-80s. Now, I watched that guide you've linked to here. <laughs> I, I'm going to say I didn't do it. <laughs> yes, there is so, a guide to jacking, which we will we'll put in the show notes for those people that want we'll to learn. We'll put somewhere, yeah. I think, I think we need to, yes. If you want to learn um, to jack your body. Jack, 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 jack your body. Oh, jack, 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 <laughs> jack your body. Jack, 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 jack your body. Jack your body, yeah, you can do that. Yeah, feel free. I'm not, I don't feel like jacking my body, I have to no. say. In it's all fairness, it was the first house track that caught my attention, the first proper house track. Um, and we'll look at a, a little bit more in detail and when we come to the singles and stuff. But it was the first proper f- first proper one that caught my attention because this predates Bomb the Bass, it predates Mars, Pop Up the Volume and stuff like that, which comes a bit later. But it was a proper house track. So it's, you know, repetitive use of samples, sam- 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 samples, repetitive mm-hmm. use of break beats, but break, break, break beat, break, break beats slow down and then and altered and, and layered samples on top. And it is a track that has been remixed loads and loads. I love Jackie Body by Steve Silkhurl. I think it's a great, great, I still think it's a great track to this day. It's a really good pioneering house track. Excellent. Well done. Well done, Mr. Hurley. Well done. <laughs> Golf clap. Golf clap. I'll put one in. <laughs> um, in the albums, uh, for the first week, um, everyone had bought it for Christmas. Now that's what I call Music 8. Um, was it uh, number one for the first week? The mm. next two weeks was the whole story from Kate Bush, mm. um, hanging around, and then back in at number one. We've spoken about this before. The the Golden Buddha. Uh, <laughs> someone followed it. No, not someone. <laughs> That's not the album. Graceland <laughs> by Paul Simon. <laughs> yes, because it just won't go away, will it? it no, none of them will go away. So none of these will go away. So they're like farts in the lift. Yes, as you've noticed here. <laughs> it won't, just won't go away. Graceland. Someone followed through in yeah, the lift. Just won't go away. Just look, make room for other people. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, stop, hog, stop hogging the charts. But we had this with um, Dire Straits, didn't we? Yeah, it's just, um, just hanging around. Last, same last year. Yeah. We have an album that just won't go away. Yeah. Like, so, you know, go away. Go, just go, go away. away. I know, I'm getting that vibe from, like, um, Salem's Lot. Go away. It's at the window. <laughs> Let me in. Let me in. It's like Paul Simon's <laughs> tapping at the window, floating. <laughs> Open the window. No, Paul. You're not oh. coming in. 
Uh, I watched uh, Salem's Lot the other night, actually, for Halloween. Yes, it's a good watch, that is. It is a great watch. I really enjoyed that. I'm pleased you watched it. I did. I, I, yes. James Mason's performance in that, just as an aside, is one of the bizarrest performances in anything I ever. Think, I don't think it's like he gives he can't a shit. Bothered. <laughs> he can't, he it's can't. like he's just, when he's driving the car, it's like he just doesn't care. It's like just yeah. driving it, just looking around. And I don't even think he's driving it because there's one point where the car drives up, and then there's a, if you actually notice, there's a jump cut. And he yeah. gets out. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, he's clearly wanting that. I've oh, he watched got that drunk. several times. Yes, I think he was possibly in a different realm. Yeah. Just that, that conversation he has with uh, David Soul in the, <laughs> in the, he goes to, when, in the uh, antiques thingy. Oh, you're that writer fellow, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. Do you believe her? And there's a great bit as well. <laughs> there's loads of bits I noticed for the first time. Where, um, sorry about this aside, but anyhow, where we just had Halloween. So um, the, it goes, oh, the, it goes, oh, the Glick boy disappeared. And so and so's fainted. Larry, Larry, what's his face? The estate agent guy. His face is thinking about it. It's all happened ever since I turned up. It's not all about you, David. It's not yeah. all about you. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you, have no, you have nothing to do with it. We know that. You're down by the lake. We've been watching you. Stop making it all about you. Typical, like, Stephen <laughs> King writer. It must be all about the writer. And I always like the fact that whenever he's in his shop, whenever anyone comes in, they're always disturbing him <laughs> unpacking a box. Or he's, like, he's, like, he's always just opened a box and he's about to get something out. And then somebody goes, ding, ling, ling, and the bell. And he's like, oh, fuck. I can never. This shop's never going to bloody open with people <laughs> disturbing me every two minutes. You must procure full stat padlocks and piss off. <laughs> 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 when like the woman looks at things she goes oh I really like this is there any chance she goes I'm afraid not and then she goes oh, yeah. oh. I, presu- I presume she means the price and like it's too expensive yeah. and then he goes I could hold it to you until Friday and she's like oh would you that'd be brilliant I can't afford it then but yeah. you know <laughs> Pointless conversations start coming, isn't it? I'm really interested in this item. I'm afraid I can't sell that to you. I can hold it until Friday. It's not going to help you in the slightest. <laughs> yeah, no. Such no. a bizarre film with so loads of bizarre I wanted him, In that shop, I wanted him to sell like an ancient, like an old crucifix, just so he could say, put down that cross. Because <laughs> that's it's just how he says it. He doesn't say it with any meaning. When he actually confronts that guy and he's got, you know, he's just, he's just telling him to put it down. You know, put down that bowl, face the master. That's how he backs everyone off from his things. Put down that antique. Face the master, <laughs> your faith against... Why are you saying that? I'm just looking at it. God, weirdo. Close that drawer. <laughs> I bought a very old ghost house and I'm opening an antique shop. What's weird about that in middle America? Nothing, nothing uh, at all. Nothing. And now nothing. children are disappearing and I've got two black suits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Am I being accused of anything? I'll drop it off in the morning. That kills Ooh. me that bit. When he, when he gets interviewed as such by that sheriff... That, that whole sequence is hilarious because he just wanders into it with his suits. He goes, am I under arrest or anything? No, but st- stick around. <laughs> it's like, well, you are basically just accusing him of child murder. <laughs> yes. Yep. It's really bizarre. The whole the whole thing. I mean, it's really good. There are some, ex- there are some br- the vampire moments are brilliant. Yes. But everything around it, kind of the weird, the, it's just, it's got a really odd thing about it. It's better than the uh, film adaptation or Return to Salem's Lot, Ooh, which we're, that's a, which more we're of a comedy in it. It's terrible. It's a, whatever that is. Anyway, we're talking about music, not Salem's Lot. Yes. Anyway. Uh, 4th of January. Number 18 was Jack Your Body, but in, in at number 18. By Steve Silk Hurley. So there you go. It was. Um, and it was indeed the first house music number one. It was. There you go. Did it really pave the way for Acid House? Yes. Do you think? Because, yeah, because that wasn't a thing in the UK at all at this point. This is predates all of that. And it was also, it was the one of the, it received the majority of its sales on under 12 inch. Now, at the time, chart rules prevented that from actually charting because of its length. Um, but they actually bypassed that for that track. So it was able to get higher in the chart. So. Why did they bypass it? I think they felt that um, it was unfair and they really liked it. <laughs> <laughs> they liked jacking. Yeah. The, the people at the um, <laughs> who ran the charts were just mad jackers. <laughs> yeah, they were just totally jacked out of their minds. And 
you know, <laughs> so they were just... The thing in that video which made me laugh where he keeps going, he says, breathe when you go down and breathe out. Yeah. <laughs> breathe out when you come up. His first breathe. move where he's like, he bends his back backwards <sighs> and then sticks his chest out and then thrusts his groin. It's like, do, do, do. And I'm thinking if we'd have followed that advice back in the day, <laughs> gone to a place where you would dance like this when I'm not even sure where that would be. And just start doing no. that, you know, and then nobody would believe we were jacking. They'd just say they were having some kind of <laughs> episode. <laughs> and you're like, that actually, because YouTube didn't exist, did it? So actually, I followed a magazine tutorial on how to jack, and this is exactly how you do it. I'm like, nah. Yeah. If you don't know how to, you don't, if you don't, you're not with it. You don't know how to jack. Yeah, you don't Look know at jacking. You don't know nothing, mister. This is the future. Now, leave me to my, <laughs> no leave me to my jacking business. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear anyway number 38 was surrender by swing out sister mm. um and you've got some interesting facts here about one john thurkle yes john thurkle is a very famous <laughs> trumpet and flugelhorn player now if you don't know what a flugelhorn is it's similar to a trumpet looks like a trumpet but it's not a trumpet it's a flugelhorn it's a bit wider of tube a bit longer and there's an, it's got an elongated third pressure valve <laughs> Um, so Long this led me down horn. a little bit because I, I don't like Swing Out Sister particularly. I remember Breakout and that was the one track I remember from them. This was kind of forgettable. But John Thurkle's played on loads and loads and loads and loads of records as it turns out. So as I was down this rabbit hole, I thought I'd take a look. And I was really surprised at the sheer volume of Flugelhorn that he'd played on. Now, <laughs> if you if you follow the... Because I put the link in. I looked. I looked, notes, I looked look, at the link. I looked. At, this guy played trumpet on so many famous tracks. But more surprisingly flugelhorned his way through the 80s and that made me think that perhaps we haven't given enough appreciation in all of these podcasts and generally in our lives to the flugelhorn players out there so i'd like to declare this day flugelhorn day and just as an acknowledgement john thurkle i think you're the best flugelhorn player i've ever heard because you're the only flugelhorn player i've ever heard and thank you for all of your flugelhorning um, so thank you very much. Um, and I think it's just, you know, Pat, if you see a flugelhorner um, or someone playing a flugelhorn, could be a, you know, I don't know what you call someone who plays the flugelhorn, a flugelhorner, I guess. Um, go and pat them on the back, horner, yeah. give them a thumbs up, tell them that you understand and tell them what it is. Because I suspect it's one of those instruments. This is probably, I didn't even read, I never even heard of the flugelhorn until today. And it's just made me realise that there's a whole series of instruments I'm, I've never knew existed. And that was one of them. A flugelhorner sounds like James Horner's um, German cousin. <laughs> Flugel, I am Flugelhorner. You've heard of James, my cousin. He does soundtracks. Yeah, yeah. And I am Flugelhorner. And can you play the Flugelhorn? No. Oh, well, get out. That's why we hired you. Um, and just share so, the name. It just amazed me that, you know, I didn't realise that so many tracks in the 80s needed trumpet, let alone Flugelhorn. It blew my mind. It well, so it was it was the era of the, you know, the brass accompaniment, whether it was the sax or the trumpet. Yeah. Uh, you know, most of these bland core bands needed a, uh, needed some kind of, uh, you know, brass brassness to their uh, their accompaniment to just yeah. have just something in there to sort of to fill up the uh, the blandness yeah and there's a classic yeah, example of that later was. but there is the song itself nothing to write home about but you know hail the, all hail the new flugelhorn day and declare it and celebrate it and get out your flugelhorns if you've got one go in the garden give them a toot let your neighbours know that, you know, <laughs> you, we appreciate you if no one else does. Pat on the back. Pat yourself Absol on the back. Absolutely. You uh, you flugel your horn all day. <laughs> yeah, go on. Toot your flugel horn. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, after the flugel horn Stick that on your bingo cards. <laughs> Didn't see that one coming, did you? Flugel horn. It's not on your card, is it? You're not going to win now. Just saying. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh dear the fourth single from the diff- oh number 53 walking down your street from the bangles there you go fourth single from their album different light yeah it's got crazy randy quaid now is it yeah, yeah. he's gone a bit off the off Red the radar Loop, yeah he declared that there was the inter not i was gonna say interdimensional but not interdimensional but he's claimed there was a big conspiracy to kill all the famous actors in hollywood called them the yeah. hollywood whackers or something it was really weird <laughs> I'm not sure what uh, what happened he, to he him some, yeah yeah well i think he was probably making those uh Animal House film, not Animal House, um, vacation film. Well, remember in, in the, the Vegas vacation, he declares that, that he was living in that film, living in a trailer park near a nuclear power facility. It was a nuclear test site. And he says, Absolutely. I don't know, I don't know where, I don't know about, because he says, are you scared of the radiation? He goes, I don't know about that, but my teeth have never been whiter. And uh, every time the microwave goes off, I piss myself and forget who I am for half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> He's also the one who saves the earth, saves the earth in uh, Independence Day. He does. Bless him. Bless him. Yeah, he flies his plane. He does. Because oh, yeah, he claims he that they uh, they abducted him and did things. They Maybe did. they did. That's what happened. I think that is what happened. Uh, probably. There's not a lot of stuff out in the January. Never generally never is, is there? No, 11th of January, number 15. It didn't matter. <laughs> it probably didn't from the Style Council. <laughs> no. No flugelhorn on this. No uh, flugelhorn to be seen. Tragic waste. Nope. Yeah, number 24 was Wasteland by The Mission. Mm. So more tiny hats. I Was this really in a Miami Vice episode? Yes, it is in a Miami wow. Vice episode called Teresa. It's the 16th episode of Miami Vice's third season. And in that episode, Crockett discovers not only that his girlfriend is a drug addict, but she's linked to the dealer he's investigating, which jeopardizes the caints against him. And I think we can all take a moment to appreciate the lyrics of the Mission song Wasteland and how that blatantly does not apply in any way <laughs> to the thematic of that episode uh no oh, I mean, no no i'm trying to think actually my way through the lyrics and i go no no, no. no. Uh, all over this waste no no no, no it doesn't. uh number 30 the wheel was on fire I found this bizarre. The Wheels on Fire by Susie and the Banshee. So originally written by Bob Dylan and Rick Danko, performed yep. by Bob Dylan and the band in 67. Yep. And this version was covered by Susie and the Banshee, so they all covers album Through the Looking Glass. Now, you've listed a load of people here. Yes. Um, who've done a cover, done covers of this, and like mm. loads of them. I listened to this earlier on because I didn't recognize it, and I still didn't recognize it. <laughs> so I was like, never heard this, despite all these people covering yep. it. Like, what is this? Well... Well, it's, it's this a, a really some well surprises. song that I've yeah. just never heard of. Exactly. Well, because it's the it's the theme song for Absolutely Fabulous. So Which that, I don't remember. But that's Julie Driscoll and Brian Auger's version. Brian Auger and the Trinity did that cover. And then she re-recorded it with Adrian Edmondson, randomly, for the, oh, for the, weird, as, as the theme to the BBC comedy series. But other artists that have released their own versions of this song include Hamilton Camp, Phil Lesh, <laughs> Golden Earring, Elvis Costello, the Hollies, yeah, right. Ian and Sylvia, okay. just Ian and Sylvia, that could be your neighbours. <laughs> Les Franklin, <laughs> Leslie West, Serena Ryder, Charlie Winston, June Tabor, Gusta, Marco, uh, sorry, Marco Benevento and Ratscabies. Which, uh, now, guess which one of those... Ratscabies is from the damned, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, Ratscabies, yeah, so they all did the version of that song. Yeah. I've got to hear the Gusta version. <laughs> <laughs> You can track them down on YouTube, I think. And I think there's oh. a, little, a little mission for our listeners out there. Um, if you if you do find any of these versions out there in the internet ether world, do feel free to post the link and stick it on a Twitter and tag us in. Because <laughs> I'd, li- I'd like to hear the golden earring version myself. <laughs> and Ian and Sylvia's. I'm just curious. And I'd like to know what else they've done. You know, What did Les Friedkin do or Leslie West? Let's find out. Let's find out Absolutely. together. Where do Ian and Sylvia live? <laughs> Where, well, who knows? But their wheels are on fire. <laughs> <laughs> they really are. Oh dear! At number thirty-one, there is uh, "Rat in Me Kitchen" by UB40. <laughs> 
There's this a week she's heard about it on trumpet, uh, not on flugelhorn. Nope. Um, and no was the sixth track on their album, Rat in the Kitchen. Yes. And as you've rightly put, there's a rat in my kitchen. What am I going to do? <laughs> That's the lyrics of the there's song. There's a rat yeah. in my kitchen. What am I going to What am I going to go? Is that the next line? Uh, that might, yeah, actually, yes, it is. What am I going to do? What am I, gonna, I don't know if it makes sense. Like, I, may, I don't know if I typed that. I'll cut and paste it. I have a feeling I may have typed it. <laughs> have you gone mad? <laughs> Probably. But you can, you know, check the lyrics for yourself on that. I don't think there's a great deal of depth to them. I think it's basically <laughs> about a guy struggling with with an infestation menaced by a rat in his kitchen yeah um yeah so that was on the album um what was it was on the album the rat in the kitchen which had these other tracks if you'd like to go through them yeah the other tracks on the album include (laughs) the rat is still the rat is still in me kitchen the rat is still in me kitchen um i can't get to me toaster because of the rat uh can i come for a cuppa at your house which is the (laughs) follow-up single to that the rat traps are useless um, <laughs> me exterminate and run out of warfarin. Uh, why won't the rat leave me alone? <laughs> the right on me biscuits. <laughs> rat rapping, reggae style. I like that. Every rat wins, featuring Nick Berry. I can imagine that he was quite popular. And me, sp- <laughs> me spaghetti is full of rat tails. <laughs> yes, check check that out. It's UB40 at their finest. <laughs> Absolutely. It was when they were going through their uh, concept, their rat, their rat concept uh, period. Yeah. Well, they followed up with his, you know, various albums were in their kitchens. There was a cat in the kitchen, a bat in the kitchen, and then dog in the, in the kitchen, ki- mouse in the kitchen. A, yeah. It just there went was, on. There were various infestations in their kitchens that they just thought they would, they needed to tell us about. Right. Uh, and uh, led to many albums. And so, you know, I don't know, you imagine many calls to the uh, this inspectors, health inspectors, you know, come around, you need to be getting around to that. It's that kitchen's kind of vermin-led. There's a lot of bad stuff going yes. on there. Don't eat out of that kitchen. No, it should be good that the rat ate all the biscuits. <laughs> uh. <laughs> the rat is still in my kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get to me toaster because of the rat. <laughs> Oh, God, I'm sensing a, a redux of epic proportions right there. But there you Every go, yes. Every rat wins. <laughs> Every rat man wins. Do you like um, uh, UB40, just as an aside? No. No, I don't at all. We've said this before that I don't I like them. Ub, Ub40. Ub40, yeah. yeah Makes make yeah. sense, no, Ub. Yeah, well, they're, they're named after the thingy, weren't they? The uh, uni- uh, unemployment benefit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which none of okay. them were on. No. Maybe they were no, at one not point, now. I don't know. Not now. Not, well, so, you know, this tale, tale, tales of rats in your kitchen. Well, is, uh, this, this catering you know, business went under after that, I'm sure. <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, it's just class class surfing, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. I can't concerned. believe they've got Herb Albert on trumpet, though. That's crazy, you know. Mr. Tijuana taxi himself. That's how we, when, that's how you have to, if you leave the house, he has to go in a Tijuana taxi. You have to ring one specially for him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't give me no Uber. <laughs> <laughs> See you, Herb. Bye. <laughs> Always to go off in a tier one a taxi, that guy. Absolutely. We should play a flugelhorn. <laughs> uh, right, at number 50, uh, there was Heartache by Pepsi and Shirley, which they probably felt, really. So Pepsi, Pepsi was, yes, called Helen and Shirley. Had been, they had indeed, they were, in, were, they were indeed Wham backing vocalists. They were Wham, yep. Wham, yes, they were. They were I always remember them in the uh, Top of the Pops for, uh, what was it, Wham Rap? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. On that, that's quite good. Shut up, um, chick. He's a friend of mine. <laughs> that's the one. Yeah. Watch your mouth, baby. Right a line. Young guns having some fun. Classic. No, it's not Wamrap, though. It's Young Guns. Uh, yeah, <laughs> could be. Or is that Wham? No, Wamrap is the. Yeah, they're both kind of similar. But, but they are. Yeah, both. they are. Uh, the debut album, All Right Now, released later in the year, was commercially unsuccessful. Sadly, yeah. It's a shame, isn't it? 
Yeah. That they returned in 2000 to record their backing vocals on Jerry Halliwell's UK number one hit, Bag It Up. Yeah, which I didn't even know existed and didn't check out. No, neither did I. No. I'm not going to I'm not going to look at that, no. No. 18th of January, uh, number 47 was Best Kept Secret by China Crisis. Uh, in answer to your questions, don't they belong in your bland core category? Yes. Upon listening to this, yes, they do. Very definitely. Um, have you seen that picture of the stupidest drum kit ever? <laughs> it's ridiculous. Why would he have that? That's from the. It's from the video. I don't know. No one could play that. No, it's not. It doesn't make sense, does it? No, it's ridiculous. Um, and also in that video, they dress up as jesters and clowns, and it's awful. Mm, yeah, that, yeah um, it sounds about right. It, it was a dreadful thing. Um, but yeah, they're definitely bland core. Yes. Um, 25th of January. Um, I knew you were waiting for me, George Michael and Aretha Franklin. Yeah. Uh, yep. Anything to say about that? Uh, no, written by Simon Climey of Climey Fisher and yeah, Dennis yeah. Morgan, who also wrote songs for Eric Clapton and Fergal Sharkey, randomly. And it was produced by Narada, Narada Michael Walden, who, as of 2020, is the drummer in the band Journey. Very famous drummer. So there you go. Oh, well, there you go. There you know. These people get around. Um, number 27, It Doesn't Have to Be This Way by the Blow Monkeys. Ugh, God. Bland course of Fister Pop. Yeah, really dull. Um, boring, really dull. boring dinner party music. Yep. Um, for the eighties, uh, yep. and it's featured in the movie Police Academy Four. It tells you all you need to know, <laughs> doesn't it? Just. <laughs> um, yes, it really does. Uh, number forty-two was Rock the Night from Europe. Mm. So yeah, it's weird, isn't it? This was tw- released twice. Um, yeah. And I listened to the two versions. That first version is way better. Yes, it's a lot better, isn't it? Interesting. Is that sort yeah, of soundtrack the soundtrack for a film? Version. The first one. Yeah, weird. Yeah. Because the, the although the video for the second version is one of the worst things for the for the acting and the <laughs> nonsense, the no, it's terrible. The, just just to turn up in a massive bus and look like they're about to run out, run into uh, that rock uh, hard. What's the rock cafe? Oh, it doesn't matter. It's just a, a it's cafe. That, it's the classic cafe, isn't it? It's, no, it's the rock. What's the rock cafe called? The rock cafe. Oh, I don't know. Anyway, they turn up it, don't they? But they just get out the massive bus yeah. and then just start yeah. start being assholes at the uh, at the table. It's when you listen to the nineteen eighty five version, it's actually just it, t- it takes off all the stupid stuff that they put in the nineteen eighty six version. So, I mean, I like the song quite a lot. It's a really good song. But yeah, the nineteen eighty six version, you know, it's got that really epic guitar kind of woo right at the beginning, yeah. which isn't in the nineteen eighty five version, thankfully. So it's just it's a bit raw and grittier. I quite like it. I quite like the first one. So yeah, weird, weird that they did that. Weird. But as you say, and so rightly say, so much hair. That there is, is so much hair. It's between him, Joey Tempest, and <laughs> I think one of them's. I think one of them's the drum drummer, and one of them's the other guitarist in the band. I don't know, but there's this big hair all round, and his Joey Tempest's hair is inexplicably huge, massive. <laughs> It's like Tina Turner, but bigger. Than, is, is it bigger than Tina Turner's hair? It's like he's borrowed Tina Turner's wig, just stuck it's it on his bigger head. Than Tina Tur- it's bigger than Tina Turner. <laughs> in and of herself. Well, the wig yeah, actually went off there. to have its own career. It just went off and formed <laughs> she, a, its own she's band. She's in there doing that dance. Look, Bush City <laughs> Limit. Te- <laughs> I want to see that. I want to see that bad. I want to see Jerry <laughs> Tempest doing the Nut Bush City Limit. Doom, 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 doom. I want to see it. Oh, he really should. <laughs> What else was this? Uh, number 86, Keep Your Hands to Yourself from the Georgia Satellites. Mm. I didn't watch this. Is it strange? Why is it strange? I don't it's know. Just, it's just str- there was very little new stuff out, by the way. What's strange about it is that it's it's a very much a rock band in the style of that time, but they were more famous for doing like country and western style songs, so probably quite big in the US, not so big here. Well, huge in the US, because they're oh, only yeah, really yeah. pipped to the number one slot in the 
chart there by Bon Jovi Living on a Prayer. It was that big, a song in the US. But here... Really? Yeah, very little business. And the video is just them kind of rocking out, country and western style with that kind of hairdo, you know, a little bit mullet for me. In the back of a sort of pickup <laughs> lorry, you know, just driving from a farm, you know, randomly. Around that time, 1987, it wouldn't have been too mullety for me. <laughs> no, I don't think <laughs> it Nothing was been. too mullety for me back then. <laughs> no, you, it's it's a little bit. Now, looking back, there's uh, there's mullet mulleting going on. But it's it was just weird. Well, the weirdness about that song is that it's it clearly was a huge song in the US and they were obviously a much bigger band there than everywhere here. So for me, it was a novelty. I think for Uro's novelty song, really. Uh-huh, okay. Are they sort of in the same bracket as like Hoot, Hootie and the Blowfish? Because uh, they're quite big in the States, aren't they? But does anyone know anything about them here? No, again, yeah, that sort of thing. I think they've just like, um, I think they're, because they've got more song, country and Western style songs, not necessarily straight, a bit like there's Garth Brooks, is it? I'm going to say they're Garth Brooks. Yeah, there's kind of that kind of territory, yeah. And they're sort of headed into that territory, a bit Mitch Malloy. Um, that but they're not going to fall Billy Ray Cyrus. No, no, they didn't uh, go on a Kill Crazy Rampage and throw cups at people. Oh, that's normal. <laughs> That's, that's Cyrus the virus from um, yeah. whole different whole that's different Con Billy, right? that's Conair yeah I shouldn't have watched that the other night it's terrible his hair is a bird in that isn't it um, anyway it is. so but yes no just forgettable really for us that but very popular in the old US yeah US. Um, number 91 was Northern Lady by Saxon um, <laughs> so I, w- I listened to this I know, did you listen to this yes I did a very powerful yeah, yeah, ballad um, it was it really touched me in places I don't want to <laughs> it just talk made me about. laugh that this is and it sounds like an LA rock Def Leppard style you know hymn to northern <laughs> women yes it does it's yeah. just the bizarrest thing yeah <laughs> it's like I mean I'm from the north and, and I've known lots of northern women <laughs> some of them are lovely yes but, I, but some I wouldn't of have them written a ballad to them are not no somehow not <laughs> No, I just but I listened to it like this is the weirdest thing because it's like singing like just I just found it really weird and odd. Did you, did you <laughs> read any laugh. of the comments in the YouTube video? That's something for you to. I go did on. not. That, no, I generally stay out of l- them. A little homework assignment for you. It'll give you a chuckle. Um, I thought okay. he sounded like Axl Rose, the singer in that particularly sounded like Axl Rose. But well, yeah. they didn't sound like what I thought Saxon were going to sound like. I think at this no. point, all these sort of early sort of eighties or late seventies, early eighties bands, yeah. and we'll see another one coming up in a minute, have just yeah. homogenized themselves into this sort of. LA rock sound. Yeah, absolutely they had, uh, yeah. Yeah, they just got they just followed that bandwagon. So yeah. any kind of like original sound they had, a lot of them uh, this was not what I remember Saxon sounded no. like. No, and at the end of the day, they, they're out there to make money, and then so and this would have probably made them a decent wedge, I thought. Well, yeah, clearly it did. He got it at number 91. Mm, so, yeah, that's what I mean. So, you know, but uh, Sax- Saxon aren't a band that I have a lot of you know, time spent with or anything else. So no. um, they do have no. really weird subject matter for their songs, so... Very strange. Very strange indeed. Yeah. Uh, albums. So let's move on to the albums quickly. 4th of January. There was only one new album out. That was at number 95 and it was Shake You Down by Gregory Abbott. Mm. And yes, you are right. It really does sound like Sexual Healing by Marvin Gaye. Yeah. The, the title <laughs> track of the album, Shake You Down, is um, it's rip-off of. <laughs> yeah. And you I've know, noted that, but I've just put I've just put note at the bottom. No one comes off well when compared to Marvin Gaye. I mean, I'm not the biggest that kind of music fan. Motown. No. You know, that sort of thing. But Marvin Gaye is great, you know. Well, it, it wasn't so much... It was, the vocals are, would be bad enough to even attempt with a Marvin Gaye track, but it's the instrumentation and the production that sounds alarmingly similar. Mm-hmm. And I'm surprised mm-hmm. they got they got away with it then because nowadays you'd never get away with that. You'd be, you know, there'd be a cease and desist or a, you know, we want our lion's share of the money for that because I think I think it sounded... Al- In fact, when I heard it, I thought it was. I thought it hit the wrong track on YouTube. We'll post po- both video links on the show notes. 
You be the judge and see what you think. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, it's up to you, um, But I'm a bit weirded out by what shake you down actually meant. <laughs> well, yes, he came up with that phrase because he thought it expressed the way a man feels when he sees an attractive woman, as in the phrase, girl, I want to shake you down. And he apparently <laughs> tried that phrase out with a female friend and she responded positively. I tried it on female friend and I got punched in the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't go down well at all. Didn't go down well at all. No. And I meant no. the joke, by the way, just to make sure that's clear. <laughs> Nothing went down well. <laughs> no. So don't try that at home, folks. I'm not sure. I, no. so I, but I'm not so sure, Greg. I have a feeling that uh, no woman likes to be t- spoken to in that kind of way or shaken down in any capacity. No one likes to be shaken down. I want no, to shake you p- down. It's not just, it's you know what? police say, in it? Yeah, exactly. Do you know what? Do you know if you listen to this podcast and you, you've got a loving partner sat next to you, you know, just turn to that partner and say that to them. You know, <laughs> if they're attractive, it doesn't matter what, you know, what your preference is. It's irrelevant. Just try that line on them. Just say, you know, I want to shake you down. See what happens. Do they respond positively? And what does that even mean? <laughs> Responding positively could be anything, don't they? Was it a thumbs up? Did they give you a hand signal? Did they just pass you a pie? Did you get 50p? <laughs> you know, did, they hand you, did they hand you the shaken vac? Which is exactly. very just, There's lots of ways of responding positively, isn't there? That's what I'm thinking. Just a smile. Did they stick the tongue out? Did they you know, tell you to piss off, but friendly, like piss off? No, piss off. <laughs> oh, to piss, piss off. off. Yeah, yeah. No, who knows? No, you know, feel free to share that with each other. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that's advice so, uh, that's... all the way from Greg. Yeah, relationship advice from Greg Abbott. Yeah, and later, of course, he opened up a series of bakeries, as we all know. No, so <laughs> what, <really>. Abbott's? <laughs> Abbott's Bakeries, yeah, you've heard of them. You've heard of them. <laughs> Absolutely. I love, getting a, I love getting a slice of steak from them. <laughs> Is it? They specialised in all vegan pasties, but they, now they have to do a meat one. So that's really, really annoyed oh, them. No. Really annoyed them yeah. Greg's have the steak slice. Abbott's has the slice of steak. <laughs> They have the Cornish pasty. We have the pasty full of corn. Yeah. Their buns have no seeds. I'm sure of it. <laughs> Abbott's Bakeries. Come to Abbott's. We're just like Greg's, but better. No, not really. <laughs> and we won't shake you down. <laughs> shaken, not stirred. Anyway. Oh, no. Um, all, all, all our bread is shaken down. There you go. <laughs> Whatever that means. I don't know what... He didn't know what it meant, so I've just no. responded to you positively, just for the... So you know. <laughs> Absolutely. We don't need our bread. We shake it down. <laughs> and you'll respond positively when you eat it. Thumbs up. We have Thumbs to say up. it because it doesn't mean anything on a podcast, does it? Just, oh, that's true, yeah. It's just, a, microphone. It's just, it's just silence. <laughs> microphone, <laughs> microphone, pick this up. AD is putting his thumb up. Oh, my God, not that far. <laughs> shake shake it down. <laughs> Quickly. <laughs> God, there's no nail on it now. Anyway. (laughs) There never was. (laughs) 11th of January. uh, In at number 62 was count three and pray, which is what I just said. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) it is. I pray. That's not a positive response. Uh, From Berlin. Um, And yes, Take My Breath Away is on that album. It's the only track you'd know off it as well. Yeah, probably. Uh, 18th of January, uh, in at number 11, was The House of Blue Light from Deep Purple. Um, The 12th album. Yeah. Yes. Um, And of course, it's a painful album for the band to record. Uh, And you've noted guitarist Richie Blackmore has said much of it was re-recorded and confessed, I think I played like shit on it. And I don't think anyone else really got that into it. (laughs) 
sold. Indeed sold. <laughs> have you watched the vi- Have you watched the video for the title no, track? I, I didn't. I should have linked to it. It's a truly terrible video. It's trying to be like a pastiche because it's like as a guy at the beginning go, "What do you mean Deep Purple don't do videos? We've got to get them on it." Blah blah. And then it just they're, oh, they're like, "What are we going to do for this video?" So it's just lots of people moving around. It's awful though. But it sounds like it. If you haven't listened to this, you know, I remember what Deep Purple sounded like famous for and then this yeah this sounds like subpar la rock it's like a really shit dave lee roth well they all they'd all fallen out at this point they weren't they were sort of it's no they weren't even god knows what happened well they weren't they weren't friends really at this point i think they were just sick of the sight of each other the album was recorded under duress with all of them nobody was into it they didn't like it they didn't like each other and it shows in because all of them say after you know if you if you look any of the interviews with any of the people from Deep Purple at that time they all say the same thing you know it was just crap we hated it so you know the short of saying don't buy it that's the last thing they know but you know I, yeah. I would recommend but you go still went in to at it number for, eleven well I think that's you know shrank the fan purchase shows how popular they were really actually that yeah, yeah it does uh, at number forty one on that same day Street Sounds Crucial Electro three. Mm. <laughs> Not something I would normally include, but hey ho, there's nothing else out. No, there it um, is. This is on various electro. artists. Yeah, yeah, ten electro music and old school hip hop tracks mixed by Herbie Laidley. It actually started a that's electro number three. There's actually a series, a compilation series of those. They're a bit like now. That's what I call music, but for electro music and hip hop. Though, all right, I bet, very I obscure stuff. Them. Yeah, the very obscure tracks on them. Not, I don't think you. It's not something you would have heard of, but you would have heard of that style if you think of some right. of the songs that are around at that time if you heard it you'd know grandmaster flash kind of backtrack and that kind of thing yeah um 25th of january so let's just get on to the last few we've got number 21 upfront four from various artists same various sort of artists yeah. yeah an early house rap music compilation um and at number 46 was zazu by rosie vella zazu <laughs> zazu <laughs> i did listen to the song <laughs> what did. a weird song very strange yeah very <laughs> the odd. debut and only album from miss vella a model turned singer songwriter Produced by and featuring members of band Steely Dan. Sold. Sold. <laughs> Sold. Yeah, the strange thing is she was a model turned singer and the singer-songwriter uh, and singer-songwriter, but this album was produced by, featured two members of the band Steely Dan. I'm thinking they may have liked her. <laughs> um, yeah, probably. And that's why this, maybe maybe I'm just saying that maybe she was dating Was it Steely and, and Dan? Uh, well, essentially, yeah. Bob Steely, it's Bob Steely and Dan. <laughs> Dan McGee. Dan Bigger. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So I wonder if that's how it came to be, because if you listen to the track, it's weird. Yeah, I listened to a few other ones as well, because when you listen on YouTube, there's other ones on the side, so I listen to a few other ones, and some of them sound a lot more like Steely Dan. Yeah, well, they will do. Uh, They will do, yes. They were heavily involved. (laughs) They were, but I think the big album for the month, really, Mm. um, in at number 79, um, is Licensed to Ill by the Beastie Boys. Yes. Yeah, I think... It's a very important album, this. It is, for all sorts of odd reasons, isn't it? Yeah. Are you yeah. a fan, by the way? Are you a fan of it? Yeah, this, I, I remember I had this. This was uh, this was Walkman material for me for quite a while, um, yeah. strangely enough. But I was very much into it because of it. It was just, uh, you know, it was one of those. I think I was just like, I don't know. It, it didn't seem like rap. I know it's, kind of, you know, first rap LP, but it didn't feel like rap. And I think no. you noted that here. Yes. Um, it just felt like a sort of rock rap i don't know it's weird isn't it i mean you know fight for your right to party is a is a rock song yeah um and so there was that on it but i you know probably just, I, I, I can't remember many tracks off it if i'm perfectly honest but i do remember listening to it quite a lot um and I, maybe i should go back and listen to it again i've not heard it in years it's worth revisiting it's a good album licensed to ill but 
I actually prefer much, much, much more prefer, much, much more prefer. I much prefer um, later Beastie Boy albums like Ill Communication and stuff like that. So mm. for me, because I don't really like the style of Fight for Your Right and No Sleep Till Brooklyn, that kind of shouty. And it is kind of rap. I don't know, because if you look either side of it, because it was the first rap album that really kind of topped the US Billboard charts. I think it was the first rap LP to ever top the Billboard album chart, which in of itself is a little bit interesting when you think of all the things that were just before it and what came after it. So there's an argument that says it is an important album because it it opened the door. But should it have been that album that opened the door is the question I ask. Mm. Uh, prior to that, in 1986, you've got albums from Run DMC, Dougie Fresh, Africa Bombata, Sol Sonic Force, and Schooly D, to name just one of lots. And there's probably loads that aren't even in the various pages I looked at for that. And they didn't get a lot of attention, and I think it's probably obvious why. And I'm, I won't yeah. say it, but it's obvious why. 1987 comes along after the release of uh, License to Ill, Public Enemy, LL Cool J, Eric B and Rakim, Ice-T, Grandmaster Flash, and many, many more. So suddenly the door was open, and it's great that it was. It was open, but perhaps it's there's a little bit of oversight in how and why that happened, and I think it's great that they did that. I just think it's perhaps a little bit of a shame that there weren't other artists that opened that door and that it had to be a, essentially you know the Beastie Boys that did it. But it, you know somebody had to do it, I suppose, is when we're looking at it. Um, yeah. They apparently wanted to call the album something very different. I won't say what that is because I think it's very offensive, but my advice is go and look up the Wikipedia and you'll see what they wanted to call it. But it was refused by Columbia because it was a homophobic term. Um, yeah. Which I just, but <laughs> I've noticed it's, it's a bit of a sort of a spinal tap moment when they want to sort of call it smell a glove. It's it smell a glove. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> no, it's sexist. Oh, such a fine line. Um, so I think there's a little bit of that in there. So this isn't the version of Beast, the Beastie Boys I really like. That comes later for me because I really like things like um, Sabotage and stuff like that and that style yeah, of yeah, Beastie yeah. Boys. Yeah, um, And I much prefer that. But, you know, everyone... It's, it's really quite everyone. This, like yeah, yeah. This, but this album caught people's attention even when we were at school at this point. You know, all of a sudden, remember that the cat badges off Volkswagens and stuff started getting broken yeah, yeah, off yeah. and there was a bit of a... Um, in, fact, in fact, a friend of ours who shall be called Charlie got actually got done by the police for doing that to a Volkswagen because he did because he did it to his next door neighbor's car and his next door neighbor's car um was owned by his next door neighbor who was a policeman so he went out and broke the Volkswagen logo off a cop car essentially his cops his, his next door, not only was it his next door neighbor who knew him and watched him do it from his bedroom window but it was also his own car and that belonged to a policeman so no daft things to do.com um so he didn't really earn his cool points yeah. and his badge and I didn't quite get the whole Stealing badges off cars thing. I don't know quite what that was about. That say this part of the, the rap culture didn't really infuse me. I started to listen to more house and dance stuff at this point. That really started to sort of slide in. And this kind of shouty rap was interesting for me, but not really that thing that I was into. I imagine Gary was probably fapping himself to sleep every night listening to this, but that's you know Woody would do that anyway without this. <laughs> Which is a horrific well, thought. And on that bombshell <laughs> while, while creating stalactites under his desk. God, I forgot we even had that conversation and it's all come flooding back in a rush. So um I think we've ended on a high with the albums there, because it's a it's a really good album license deal. Not my favourite one, but it's really good. And it is important. I just think it's, I suppose somebody had to open the door. I just think it's a great shame that it wasn't one of the, any of the other artists that were out that were releasing rap records at that time that weren't mm. necessarily um, the Beastie Boys. Um, but you know what? Go and do your own research and make of it what you will. Absolutely. So there you go. 
Yeah, License to Will is a good, uh, good album. So some good stuff there, some bad stuff, and some stuff. That's it. That's your music for January uh, 1987. So uh, we've got a few more games to speak about uh, before we wrap up. So come back with us after this short break, and we'll get into them. See you in a bit. <laughs> Shout out to our amazing show sponsor, DavidHearnWriter.com. Let's have another sneaky listen to a sample from his fabulous audiobook, Back in Time for a Donut, read by the delectable Lucy Dwyer. She ported her phone to escape nonsensical reality for just a moment and played a role-playing game named Exiled Kingdoms, where she instructed a female character to run around and bash other characters. She smiled, mashed virtual buttons, then looked up. She weighed up one of her many virtual lives against her real one. Here, she was a much-respected cleric. Many of the non-player characters depended on her to complete various missions. The bad guys were easy to manage, too. If a threat didn't do the trick, then a sword probably would. Real life, of course, wasn't so easy. Her humdrum insurance job paid the bills, sure, but she had to put up with people she didn't like while doing work she didn't want to do. She even had to listen to the boss when she sprouted her corporate nonsense. Worse, she was expected to feign interest. That sounds absolutely amazing. Why can't Alexa have a voice like that? Anyway, if you like what you heard there, visit davidhernwriter.com to find out a whole lot more. Uh, welcome back. Okay, so we've got five games left. Um, and the first of these, so let's get straight into them, um, is Warrior 2 or PSI Warrior 2, whatever you want to call it, Psy Warrior 2, I don't know. It's, yes. It's, I don't know, whatever it is, it's uh, Warrior 2. Um, and so what is PSI Warrior 2? Now, this is a follow-up to PSI Warrior, hence the two. Um, and just, I'm just going to, again, I'm going to lay my cards out. Um, just when I thought Camelot Warrior was the game that was going to annoy me the most in this episode, up steps PSI Warrior 2 <laughs> and its absolutely hateful level design. Yes. Um, so I'll just, uh, that's the start. Just so you know where this is going, all right? Because <laughs> I don't want to sort of fal- false lead you with uh, with hope, because there is none. Um, so you play the titular warrior in his second game, and you must got to make your way to the bottom of a warehouse. <laughs> I'm dead excited by this game. As you can tell. <laughs> nothing nothing more exciting than making your way to the bottom of a warehouse. There, does it know. get any more exciting than that? Well, I mean, it, it is situated in an irradiated badlands, and you've got to interface or something with some sentient compu- computer that has come back online. <laughs> Again. <sighs> okay. Or somebody's been, you know, judge dreading oh, a bit, I think. heavy amounts of Kevin involved in this game's creation. <laughs> Yeah, colours, everything. Mm. So what this entails is a series of pseudo 3D levels. It looks similar in angle, I suppose, to Ultimates games. Mm -hmm. You know, the Staff of Karnath, um, it's that angle, isn't it? It's that 3D angle. Um, Because you've got to navigate them on your hoverboard. (laughs) (laughs) It's not going well. (laughs) So bothering you whilst you try to navigate these levels on on your hoverboard, you can move up and down. Like in the Ultimate games, you've got that 3D depth. You can Mm. move up and down across these levels. Uh, you've got these strange entities that can be shot and you've got to collect them 
if they're white or black, to change your colour, which allows you to progress deeper into the warehouse. But you have to collect enough to change. You're not just one. You've got to get your... There's like a spectrum at the top and bo- at the top where shooting them moves the line of the spectrum slow, closer to purple or blue or whatever. And, th- th- you know, this sounds quite intriguing. It sounds quite unusual. But the combination of instant death pads and bounce pads and your own inertia render this almost unplayable, I found. You start off, the first thing you have to do is work up enough speed to jump over three of the instant death pads. And why? But straight after them, there's a series of bounce pads, which bounce you straight back into the death pads. Yeah, annoying. <laughs> annoying. Not just annoying. It's annoying the first time. The first, Well, <laughs> the first time is, oh, I'll learn. The second time is annoying. The third, fourth, and fifth, sixth, and tenth time is hateful. I just don't get it. And if you manage to make it past them, which I did once, the next level down is even more hateful placement of these pads. <laughs> This game hates you. Whoever designed this hates you. Yep. They just hate you. This is not the way to start a game. This level of difficulty off the bat is so off-putting that the off switch was quickly reached for, and I didn't care anymore. Mm. The graphics, the sounds, they're okay. The animation on the main sprite is okay. You know, he's twisting, he's turning, although I couldn't really control how he would turn. Sometimes he would. Yep. Sometimes he wouldn't. Sometimes he would. Sometimes he wouldn't. Sometimes he'd float backwards. Sometimes he'd float forwards. Sometimes he'd speed up. Sometimes he wouldn't. Mm. It just seemed arbitrary what was going on. I couldn't, you know, the, the controls were just rubbish. And I, with controls that are like that, level design, what I can't even begin to comprehend why they thought this was good. You, you just made me hate it. And I did. And mm. I turned it off. Yep. So I'm not spending long on this game <laughs> because no. I don't really know what else to say. And this got 88% and they loved it. Yeah. They loved it. 995. It was another Nexus game, wasn't it? So it's was another yeah. one of those stupid fancy packaging. This is the one that was advertised on a salt machine or That's whatever right. it was. Um, so, I, and you know, they were like, oh yeah, cool. Warrior 2's, but Warrior's back. And I'm like, you could have stayed gone for all I cared. Absolutely. This was, I just, I, I, I didn't get it. I just no. did not get this game. And I, and I thought whoever designed this, this levels actively you know one just hates people you mm. just hate them yep. because there's, there's nothing else to say about it i don't know what did, did you get anything from it no well the first thing to first thing i want to say is actually i'd, I'd got i'd said prior when we reviewed the previous nexus game that the zap i thought the zap review was over generous and actually i got i've got it confused i actually meant this one so i didn't although the review for that was generous this one's way worse so they're raving about this game, and I thought it was a confusing load of garbage. Um, I must have missed something about the game that they clearly saw. I thought this was dreadful. You have to infiltrate something on a hoverboard floating around with some kind of weird colour coding system that made no sense whatsoever. I just bounced around like a bloody, uh, like I was in a pinball machine. The 3D mm-hmm. depth thing, 2 half D, whatever you want to call it, doesn't work. The sprite that you were on was kind of almost see-through-y, floaty crap. Badly drawn everything. I got attacked by some kind of ghostly octopus at one point. I what is this game? What does it mean? So the, it was just flicky, badly drawn graphics. The sound was like some kind of jazz exploration of the noise filter. It made no sense whatsoever. And overall, it just made this game... I didn't get it. I didn't understand what I, what I was meant to do. It wasn't immediately obvious. This colour coding thing was just stupid logic. I just bounced around. I would sort of zip left, bounce off a thing, death. Zip right, bounce off a thing. It looked like I got hoovered into the floor. I'm like, what is going on in yeah. this game? Anyway. Yep. I just switched it off. I'm like, no, no. And I, and I read through the Zap review and I thought, I don't know what game they were playing, but it cannot be the same game that I was playing because they are... Oh, no, no, the screens were the same. 
and I know it is the same game, but I don't get how they achieved the results and the review and the things that they did because that is not the experience I had of this. It was a confusing, massive nonsense and I didn't get it. And it didn't really play very well and didn't work very well. So no, no, no. There's something gone badly wrong there. Maybe it's because they'd, I think there'd been a lot of preamble up to this point with it, but I don't know. Oh, I don't, I honestly, yeah, I don't understand it. I didn't. I, I remember looking at it. I, I do remember playing this back you know, back in the days of yore and I, and I remember looking at it and I, I didn't get it then. I didn't... I, I was like, am I missing something? It's full price as well. This right? is one of those instances. You are. It's full price as well. Full though. price. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tenner. Yeah. Gee. Yeah. Am I, am I missing? You know, they're giving it eighty-eight percent and said it's brilliant and Warriors Ace yeah. and I should go check this out because yeah. it's like they're saying it's great and yeah, you know, this is my guide to great games. Yeah. Well. And, and I was like, what? What? This level design is shocking. No, they'd all been uh, sipping morphine tea that day, I think. Because it wouldn't. If those bounce pads had not been straight after the death pads, maybe not so bad because it teaches you that oh, these things speed you up and jump. You know, you can speed up and jump, and so they're they're useful. Yeah. But to put bounce pads straight after them to bounce you back into death is no, just stupid. It's no way, you know. It's no way to design a level. No, and I think that the the reviewers in Zap were definitely it was Lordenham. I think it's the Lordenham speaking. I think. <laughs> No, I watched Master and Commander the other day and there's a bit where he chops this kid's arm off and he puts a, like a twig in his mouth and he says, bite down on that and he busy chops his arm off because he got all infected and he starts going, oh, 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 oh. and he goes, it's the, don't worry about it, it's the Lord and I'm speaking and that's exactly what happened there. <laughs> no, it's the chopping your arm off speaking. Yeah, but in this instance, it's definitely Lord and I'm. <laughs> I recommend a healthy dose of Lord and I'm to play Warrior 2. <laughs> <laughs> you need something yes oh this was dreadful by the way don't use laudanum just saying just saying, but no no, no probably safety not. and all that absolutely yeah <laughs> it's up to the past does not recommend laudanum no of any kind of denim <laughs> denim <laughs> no denims laudanums uh and any other denims don't go back to don't go back to londinium no no denims. you get your time machine to change stuff <laughs> what else is there adamantium no, that's <laughs> no. anyway laudanum anyway <laughs> now we're on laudanum now our laudanum's speaking <laughs> <laughs> absolutely oh it was awful i just i was i was kind of looking forward to this thinking is this going to be interesting and it was yeah, like it's no no it's not it's not yeah. uh let's move along quickly um but try not to go into any death pads mm. as we head up to our next game <laughs> Which is uh, another elite arcade conversion. This is 1942. So, Graham, tell us about 1942. That's the one. 1942. Uh, so, it's an arcade conversion. Let's talk about the arcade. Um, the arcade is set in the Pacific Theatre of War in World War Two, and it's sort of roughly based on the Battle of Midway. Um, now, interestingly, this was a Capcom game, I believe, which means it was developed by uh, a lot of Japanese developers, and the goal of the game is to destroy Tokyo <laughs> with an air fleet. I'm sure that's, you know, particularly nice. Anyway, um, but it was made with, sort of, you know, obviously the Western markets and all of that. So it was a very popular arcade. It's the Japan's fifth highest grossing arcade in 1986 and one of America's top five highest grossing arcade conversions or conversions of that year. So it's a very popular arcade. The uh, So I think it's 1984 it came out. I think I said 96 and it's 1984 originally. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Capcom did it first. Then the Commodore 64 version comes along. Hey-ho. Now, the arcade logic of this game is a shoot-em-up. This is a top-down 
vertical scrolling shoot them up. Uh, super simple arcade logic. You take off from an aircraft carrier, shoot everything, work your way through 24 levels of air battle where you are attacked by waves of enemy fighter planes and larger size sort of bomber planes and stuff like that. And so you just shoot everything. It's kind of a bullet hell game, really, and a very early one. And the arcade mm-hmm. plays like that. You can do loop the loops in this in this game. So if you press the space bar in the Commodore 64 version or press the appropriate button on the arcade, you sort of do a loop the loop. And while you're doing that loop the loop, you can dodge the enemies and you can't actually be hit. You get that kind of three of those. They're a bit like a mini power-up that you can, and you collect more of them as you go on. You can also power up in this game so that when you shoot the waves of enemies, if you shoot the, all the enemies in that particular sequence, um, they'll drop a little pow and you get that and you get more bullets and you can sort of increase the firepower of your aircraft. So it's, it's a, the beginnings of the first proper vertical scrolling shoot em ups that's important, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. So this was created by Stephen Green. I think it's the only game Stephen Green ever made for Elite Strange. I couldn't find him on anything else. Um, and he also made the graphics, which aren't great, but we'll come to that in a minute. Music is Mark Cooksey. Music doing uh, music being quite good in this. So Mark Cooksey, same person that did Ghosts and Goblins, turns his hand to this arcade version. And it's a version of... Um, I can't remember what they call that music now. It'll come back to me, but it's that something like that. One of them sort of, you know, stirring, daring, do. I think it's the Dam Busters, isn't it? No, because that's. It might be called Battle of Midway. Anyway, someone will tell us what it is, but it's that. So, and it's not a bad version of it. But the main issue here is that it feels this is an arcade conversion, and most of it is there. Most of it's there, except. It just feels completely loveless. So this game feels like it has no heart or passion for the arcade. It's kind of a rote arcade conversion. The sprites are okay, but they get worse as they get bigger. Um, the arcade logic is is somewhat there, but the arcade featured one of, is one of the first shoot, vertical scrolling shooters that features a continue, which the game in the Commodore 64 does not. Um, which means that you know it's quite it's just unforgiving then because these games really kind of need the continue so that you can mm-hmm. plow through them and make your way through all the bullet hell. That's the whole purpose of bullet hell games. And later down the line, they do add that continues but this one doesn't have that at least in the commodore 64 version so you know you're not going to get so far with three lives in this game unless you are dexterous on your hands in a crazy way and you have the ultimate dexterity you know in qdex fashion um which i didn't have at all so i'm clumsily lumbering around the sprites collision on this is a little bit unforgiving and sometimes they come from the bottom of the screen and kill you and unless you know they're going to be there it's a real it's a real shonky it's a pattern remembrance game anyway you got like well, all these kind of shoot you remember the patterns of where they appear you know where to position your ship and shoot the shooting logic is a bit slow on this and you can't hold the fire button down to just shoot which you should be able to do on a shmup like that so it doesn't have that so you got to be fair just to say on that 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 is like the arcade so the yes, arcade does do say, that as yeah, well. I was going to say it's similar. And like I say, it should be able to do it on games of this type. This is early, so it doesn't quite do yeah. that. So the pace of the bullet shooting isn't fast enough compared to some of the sprites you're shooting at, which means that the game is horribly not in your favour from the get-go, even when you get more power-ups. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, you throw your power-ups when you die as well, which is a little bit annoying, so you have to get them back again, but it does sort of give you an opportunity to do that. The backgrounds are totally thoughtless in this game. They may as well, they're just really bad, really bad backgrounds. They don't really have any impact on you to play. And so it's like, like I said, this is a version of the arcade that's just it lacks any love of the arcade it just it's just very make me a top down make me a vertical shooter that looks like this okay you could have substituted those graphics for anything and it wouldn't have it wouldn't matter that it's 1942 it could have been 2042 and it could have been spaceships it makes no difference because it's so rote and by the numbers vertical scrolling shooter and and i suppose you could say well that's all the arcade is and it is and it has that kind of look and feel but this game will never be anything other than interesting for the first two or three levels and then dull as dishwater because it just repeats and repeats and repeats and the, the, even the patterns of the enemies don't vary that much so i think it's a game that lacked passion lacked you know it was done by someone that just did it 
never made another game as far as I know. It's a good template for a good what a good shooter conversion should be come and later they do get better, but it lacks any passion for the original game and I think it's dreary and boring at the end of the day, which is no shoot 'em up as you've said before. Shoot 'em ups of this type should never be dull. They should never be boring. They should always be exciting, keep on the edge of your toes a bit. This does not. It just feels like it's very, very dull. And that I think that's a great shame. But that's my take. What about you? Yeah, I'm not far off that, I have to say. Um it's another elite game, another arcade conversion. It's yeah, the World War Two shoot in nineteen forty two. You pilot, like you said, a US fighter and you're making your way through wave after wave of enemy and I presume the Japanese fighters and I think that is kind of weird that it's a you know, a Capcom game, yes, clearly Japanese developer making it that you are making your way to destroy tokyo whatever it's strange but it's uh, you know mm. it's a world war ii shooter my main beef with this was that like bomb jack the sprites feel too big yeah they said they're just bad um it's just they're too big and, you, and there's not enough you don't get enough time to react when shot and the reason for this because i went and had a look and a play on the um i just played on the arcade rom as well the arcade is not you know ratio is 916 so right. it's vertical so it's longer. So it's much longer than yeah. So it's taller than it is wider. And unfortunately, the four three of the C sixty four can't do it justice. Yes. And so you've got a real problem there. When on the arcade, you've got real, you've got loads of time to see them up above you. Yeah. Um, because of the nature of the you know the big long arcade cabinet and that trying to replicate yeah. that when you've got a zoomed in like bomb jack sprites. Yeah. If they'd have made them smaller and zoomed the screen out and given you more time to react, this would have been a much better game. Yeah, similar style to sort of um, Spy Hunter where you could have just had black borders down the left and the right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just thin, yeah, exactly. thin to the screen and make everything a bit smaller. It would have worked, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. And then you would have been more like the arcade game. You'd have that ratio. Well, basically what Ikaruga, you know, yes. late, much later on, so Ikaruga on the Dreamcast and things like that. But I, and I know there's probably, you know, thinking, but it, in, in the grand scheme of things, you can you can shrink the sprites down. The sprites don't have to be massive. And I know that, you know, you could have done them high res and high res overlays or whatever. There's, there's ways and ways. We know there are ways and ways. You could have done this. And if you'd have kept thought about that, but they don't. They fill the screen. And thus, when it's everything so massive, and stuff you're underneath a ship about to fire and when they shoot at you they shoot so fast you just don't have time to get out of the yeah. way you die yeah and die and die and repeat and it gets very boring very quickly and like you said and it's a shame because i really like 1942 in the arcade yes i do it's one of my it's one of my favorite vertical scrolling shoot ups it's a really nice game mm. it's just fun to play all the versions of it whether it's 1943 1941 i think it's 1944 and there's all there's loads of them and I, i've liked them all it's just they're just good vertical shooters yep you know um, and you know that's the nice thing and and um this i really wanted to like this because i thought this could be you know it's not overly tough we've seen mm-hmm. the ghost and goblins can do it we've seen green beret can yep. do it we, we see they can do decent uh, and this feels you know this is a couple of years old by this point yep. so it doesn't feel out of reach of the 64 but it's just a yeah this is an elite miss it is and i think uh, for i me. mean from a programming perspective I and mean, i don't i don't know much about stephen green but you know programming for a game like this would require some fairly complex multiplexing because on the Commodore 64 there's a number of different methods of multiplexing one of them is like zoning where you you know where you basically split the screen where the a good example would be a platform game where you've got say two three or four levels and you can split the screen up where and have different numbers of sprites in each of those or well, eight sprites but you can split them per raster line so you can actually have multiple sprites on a platform screen and you know, can get away yeah, with it yeah, yeah. with this where you have patterns of enemies sweeping down it's a lot more difficult to program that but if you're going to make a game like 1942, you would need to know how to do that. You'd need to be a comp. So there's some accomplished programming in here because it does do a little bit of that. But again, blocky graphics. And I don't remember ever thinking there was, I was overwhelmed with more than eight sprites. So I'm not sure that it really properly multiplexes either. So I, I don't, I'd have to go back yeah. and have a look, but 
just I think if you're going to do a game like this, you need to know how to code one. Really, you need to know how to un- you need to understand how to change the sprite registers on a C64 and know how to do that properly on on raster lines. Yeah, and 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 unlike you, I thought the music was bloody awful. No, <laughs> I, I, I didn't. I wouldn't say I like the music for this. I just think it's just it's a version of a classical piece of music, whatever that is. Yeah, it's okay, but I just it, it's very quickly repetitive. great. Yeah, very repetitive. And it's not from the arcade, I don't think. No, the arcade I doesn't have. Don't think it is, is it? I, I don't, don't remember. No, I think it's a different. I don't think the arcade has that. The that that music yeah. Battle of Britain music is it is it Battle of Britain no, music because that's no it's not Battle of Britain Britain, it's because that's the Battle of Britain music. No, I don't know. I'm sure it's that's called Dambus. Is yeah, it? But, but it's, okay, it's the Battle of something. It might be called Midway uh, or something like that. Oh, I don't know. Someone tell us, or <laughs> we'll look. But anyway, I didn't like it, and I don't like the game that much. Fifty-eight percent. Yeah, ten is. Uh, are you going to get ten pounds worth of enjoyment out of this? I'd rather go down the arcade and pump it in there. I don't think it's a good substitute for the arcade. No, this one. no, no. And no. It's a shame because I think the the C64 can do, and we will see it do good shooters. Yeah, you know, well. we've already seen it. Whether we, whether you like sanction or not, you know, it's, it's irrespective, you know, yeah. But it's just a shame. Yep. Anyway, there's 1942, another elite conversion mm. that doesn't hit the highs of some of the others, no. maybe. And it's, yeah, there we go. So let's move on to. Uh, we've got a couple, we've got a few more left. So let's move on to our next one. <laughs> Which is a cheapy. It is. Two pound tin of spam. A bouger game. Uh, it is. It is a bouger. Bouger. <laughs> <laughs> Cheaper and bouger. <laughs> Le ship a bouger. Absolutely. This is Le, Le Black Cat. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise known as Panther. Panther. Not related this to the uh, Gladiator in any way. No, we had Jet Strike Mission. <laughs> so <laughs> there's just a series of Gladiator games come out. And then we do get Barbarian, I suppose, which yeah. was bloody wool. Yes, it was. Um, you know, there it was. Um, Panther, yes. So Panther is £2. It is a it's Mastertronic, isn't it? Mastertronic? Yes, yes, it is. It is a Mastertronic game, this one, yeah. Um, so uh, once again, aliens have invaded and laid waste to everything. So they've laid waste to the city of Xenon. And you are the last Panther pilot. And you must fly your tin of spam. <laughs> through the ruins of the city and rescue all survivors. I know that's an obvious joke, but you do look like a tin of spam. Well, I, I put tin of sardines, but same difference. Yeah, you tin of something. Well, I'll come to, let me Frey come Bentos to that Frey sponsored this game. Uh, it, well, let me come to... <laughs> so you've got to fly through the ruins of the city and rescue all the survivors that need to be airlifted out. So what this is, is a it's futuristic Blue Max. This is Blue Max, wasn't it? Yeah. Blue Max style romp, where your speed is dependent on your altitude as you traverse the isometric desert landscapes and then into the city. So you're flying bottom left to top right, highway encounter style, as we saw the other month. Oh, Blue Max, all those kind of games where you're going from bottom left to top right. Um, you can move left and right, and as you up and down, moves you up and down, and your speed increases, you get higher and lower as you get lower. You're beset by alien, weird alien craft that you've got to try and shoot, um, and you've got to try and do that. Well, it's also trying to land and pick up the people who are sort of poking their heads out and waving at you from little sort of bases in the in the ground, mm-hmm. aren't they? They're sort of thinking that's kind of like Defender Drop Zone style almost, yes. yeah. as you've got to land. So for two quid, Visuals are okay. Uh, mm-hmm. It moves quite nicely. It moves at a pace. There's a, a decent tune by uh, Dave Whitaker yep. that plays throughout. It's all right. Um, and I thought this does quite. A, I quite enjoyed this. Mm. Uh, some enjoyment to be had here, especially for two quid. Yes. Um, and it's challenge, challenging, but it doesn't feel unfair. It feels quite nicely balanced. There's a good, good difficulty curve as you move along, and you, you know, there's a nice. I, I quite like some of the sort of interstitial graphics, like the sort of oil pumps and stuff yeah. in the desert. Yeah. Um, there's some nice visuals. The the sort of ruined city is quite nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it scrolls smoothly. It's fast. Um, you know, it's it's better than when we played Blue Max, the angularly challenged Blue yes. Max. 
And, you know, I've got to admit, I was partial to flying a tin mm. of spam in the future. Yes. And I, and I put here, it's a future I can get on board with, and I wish there were other meat tin-based flying craft games. <laughs> yes. I feel it's a genre that has been potentially <laughs> under... avoided and, yes, and severely underplayed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you said, Frey Bentos. The, yes. You know, you could pilot Frey Bentos. You could have, uh, you know salmon tins yeah you could have any any kind tuna. of tuna sort of one of those yeah tuna you could have one of those roll top ones Ooh, the prince's yeah. ones yeah you know sort of thing to open up those sort of special powers yeah there's loads of stuff this this, this is a sorely underused you know source of uh, uh enter- entertainment that yeah. we, we could really sort of make some meat from tinned meat based shoot 'em ups the rare they're <laughs> yeah, rare absolutely. but great when they appear right yeah, absolutely, and this is a great one. So you know, maybe it's panther in that tin, and not, uh, <laughs> you know, not not spam, chop pork and ham. Um, but uh, you know, in our usual way, I would definitely say that this passes the rainy Sunday afternoon test. Yep. Definitely, uh, I th- I quite enjoyed this. I th- it's seventy three percent, and I thought it's a bit underrated. Mm. I thought this, you know, for two quid, this is something I would have put higher. I can see it gets it might get a bit samey. It is what it is, but a lot of these shooters get samey. You mm. know, they are what they are. They're a shooter, but I think the 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 novelty of having to control it and trying to get the people in whilst mm. you know th- there's more to this and I, and I quite you know it's not just going left to top left bottom left to top right and shooting stuff there's more to it there's a bit of skill a bit of strategy mm. i enjoyed this i like this so um uh, it's all right yeah good stuff what did you think yeah i actually bought this back in the uh day as i think it were. i did as well and i have always liked panther i've had a bit of soft spot i like quite like the music for this did you know that uh, peter adams designed this game that's the guy that designed zaxon and blue max just saying i don't know if you knew that but so designed by i don't know if it was made by him but it was certainly designed by peter adams so explains he, the, he, he, he has a style well he, he's like, got a scrolling routine he's got to use it i think he <laughs> lives in an isometric world that's his world it just sees everything from that angle he's just he, 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 can, he can only, only go top from left, left yeah <laughs> to bottom left to top right that's it um so i quite liked um panther i mean i remember getting it and loading it buying it i remember it quite distinctly i remember getting it and load, playing it i think i bought it from boots on a whim with a spare two pound i had at this point i was working at a pub um not in the behind the bar i was just you know doing you know dogging jobs that sounds awful not dogging jobs i was doing dogging jobs <laughs> just dogging no i wasn't i was just doing you know clean any job that would do would pay a bit of money and, and i was a friend of the landlord or my mum and dad were a friend of the landlord so i had a bit of money coming in i bought this and loading it up and being quite struck by the soundtrack and the whole principle of the game seemed decent i like the background graphics and the graphics on it they're about the right size for a game of this type take note other games yeah. that make them too big yes you're flying a tin of spam but you know what so what the actual graphics you're shooting at look like ufos quite nice quite the way they're rotating anime um, yes, the shooting are. you have to it's multi-layered shooting you speed up and slow down there's a bit of strategy and thought to this I like the fact that you rescue people and there's funny details in this game that I really like I like the fact they wave to you and you pick them up the fact that your tin of spam can hold loads of people is amazing really because the people when they come out of that thing are massive you're like well you don't get in my spam tin you're going <laughs> to sink this and then we're going to take off um, well, they just lay down like a like they down like roll mops. <laughs> it's a tin other. of roll mops. <laughs> They're the roll mop people. So um, I quite like that. Um, I quite like the way they appear. There is a purpose to all of this game, of course, because you have to rescue the people and take them to the pyramid at the end of about the end of quite a long series of interchanges. There's a mysterious pyramid which you land in, and then you all your men get off your ship, and then you start again, and, mm. and you go through the city. So there's, there is that. Um, it is difficult. The graphics are interesting. Some of the background details crack me up. I love the oil pumps um, in this sort of post-destructed yep. world that the oil's still got to flow. You know, Mad Max yep, and, and, and Lord Humongous are all very <laughs> proud of that. 
<laughs> and I love the uh, fact that there's a train line to nowhere. Always, even now, I think of that and it makes me laugh because there's a train line when you start the game, it just goes nowhere. It starts nowhere, ends yeah. nowhere. <laughs> so there's just, where, where was it? maybe it was more to it before the aliens blew everything up. Um, so it's quite nice. And you've got five lives, I think. They call them Phoenix Shields in this game, which is quite nice. But like, you've got five lives and you've got to sweep through the city. Yeah. The, the one little part about this that is easy forgotten is uh, once you get through the city and get through the isometric, go over the sea, it's quite a long scroll to this. It's quite a long yeah. process. You get to a part where you, you can't actually, because if you fly up in the air, you go faster. But uh, right at the end, before you get to the pyramid where you drop your people off, you've actually got to navigate your way through the city, almost at ground level, because if you go too high, you get some air, air missiles firing, you can't avoid them, they kill you. So you've actually got to fly really low, and you've got to avoid all the buildings, and like sort of shoot left yeah. and right, avoid the buildings. And it's really, really hard. It's really hard. It's like, you need to have like proper lightning fast reactions. I don't. I remember it, but only because I remember it. I never got there this time when I replayed it. But I, I it took me back to a time when I... I really enjoyed it. This was a good Sunday afternoon game. I, I played this quite a lot just because it was easy to get into. It didn't have complexity. You notice how there isn't a massive amount of story. There isn't a massive amount of, you know, stuff. They haven't filled it full of guff. Yes, you're flying a, you know, a tin of sardines or a tin of spam, whatever you might be. Yes, your people are going to all lay down in there like, you know, um, <laughs> roll mops. Roll mops. <laughs> but at the same time, it's a it's a mini sort of choplifter-esque type isometric shooter yeah, yeah. and there's nice touches to it and the music is just a finishing treat so for two quid bargain and it's better than warrior 2 by miles way better and yet got a worse review yeah. app so i don't get it i don't get that at all yeah. i think they were cruel to panther really in that it's the best game, game we've played so far yeah it is and i think they were they were a bit down on it because they said oh it's got no longevity it's dull it's repetitive i'm like oh, you played that crappy warrior 2 you said that was you know the best thing since sliced bread with its multicolor swap shop game mechanic, and this is just shoot the stuff, <laughs> pick people up, and land again. No, oh, it's too, it's too, it's too repetitive. It's not well. Shoot 'em ups are, and no, anyway, I think it's the best. It's and it's better than 1942, which says it tells you a lot. So yeah, yes, good, yeah. good game, Panther. Definitely worth checking out. And Dave Whitaker starting to sort of show the musical chops that he becomes quite well known for because he does a lot, loads and loads and loads of music for the Commodore 64. Um, well, I think he's already done that with. Um, I mean, I really like the BMX Simulator. Yeah, Night Games so. was good. I really still. Like that, but the night games are good, good. Yeah, this one's good. But he comes up with like Storm. I think is another one he does, which is one of my favourites of his. And there's other stuff. We'll yeah. come across them as we go along. So good stuff. Yeah, no, yeah, this yeah, was good. good. Yeah, it was good. For, it's just, a, it's just a good, fun, simple thing. And we're, you know, we're not exactly known for our love of isometric nope. stuff, but that is Highway Encounter and this. Maybe we're being converted. Maybe. Maybe we're starting to see the world from a slightly third, from Peter you know, Adams' top, point top, of view, top right angle. Yeah. But yeah, he'd obviously perfected his scrolling routine. Well, he can never get in I his mean, own the conversion car. Of- <laughs> <laughs> he has a he has a camera <laughs> attached to the back yeah. top right of his car, like reaching out like, uh, oh, there it is. And that's how he has to it. drive it. <laughs> <laughs> sees the world that way yes what are you doing he's just at the back of it, even when he's walking yes he's like has a blindfold on and the camera inside his blindfold the big uh, thing just seen that way. he has angular binoculars <laughs> ang ang angoculars angoculars yeah angoculars oh good old peter <laughs> adams but that's all he did one way he did panther he did another one called survivor yeah but blue max yeah well, i don't Saxon. know that he programmed panther i do know he was the designer of it i don't know if there's a distinction no, it says there, on but... it says on lemon 64 it says he was the coder oh there you go so peter adams good old peter adams yeah there you go peter Adams, yeah, good stuff. We like Panther. Well done. Well done. Um, wonder if we'll like our next one. Who knows? Who's to tell? Who can because tell? Because it's a Tony Crowther game coming up. And that one is toaster. No microwave. No, it's kettle. <laughs> yeah. Graham, do you want to have a? Do you want to have a crack at kettle? Well. 
We've been critical of games that were based on crockery. And we've been critical of games for other things. And now we've got a game based on a kitchen appliance. Uh, <laughs> so this is Alligator Software. Tony Crowther, Ben Daglish on music. And... <laughs> So this is a maze game, really, a top two-player maze game. You're a kettle that's equipped with a propeller and, and armed with tea bags, and you've got to sort of make your way through this labyrinth of about 30 stages um, to find keys and collect as many points on the way to the exit to leave the to finally leave the big level. So it's a big maze, big old maze game. Some of the keys are in clay jugs that are around, but you need to be careful because one, they attack you with bubbles, and they can also hide monsters in them, which will chase you. Um, you also got to take a make sure you don't touch the walls because you have an energy amount and that actually takes your energy away and what I'm really alluding to is this game is classic Tony Crowther difficulty so it's just ridiculously hard because everything everything in this game kills you very quickly and easily if you're not careful so I sort of batted around a bit with my sort of energy thing that you sort of shoot out I don't know if it shoots out or you control it and you shoot and gather it it was a bit confusing I have to say um so when I f- first played it, I played it because it, when it starts, you get like the, the sort of the main selector screen and you've got one player, two player, and then you've got these weird kind of option things and it's a little bit option heavy. And I was like, what does all this mean? <laughs> so yep. I didn't get it. And then when I started the game, I inadvertently started it in two players. So there was two, and it's quite clever the way it does that. In all fairness, is there's two versions of Kettle. There's like one at the top, one at the bottom. And I don't know if you were supposed to help each other in two player mode or whether you actually don't. I don't know. I don't know what this crazy game was actually about other than I was trying to make my way out of a maze as a <laughs> propeller driven kettle and i don't know really that i got any more out of it than that so some of the narrowness of the tunnels meant that it was really hard to get pixely perfect through that without losing energy and then you didn't and it, i died so much in this game it's ridiculous in the short space of time I played it um and you've got to get through the 30 levels and throughout before your life energy disappears so you get one life in this game as well i think so when yeah, that runs yeah. out you're dead yes. classic tony crowther difficulty um so the graphics in this game are, are kind of a blodgy the gun for cute, but they've cut, it just comes over as kind of blodgy and a bit diff, diff, with that lack of definition and that horrible middle medium res that tends to be the Tony Crowther style for this stuff. It's just blodgy. Um, the level design was weird and really stupidly difficult to navigate around and frustrating to do as well. I thought the two-player logic was clever and I, and I imagine that could be quite interesting and some of it was visually compelling enough, but not enough for me to like it that much. The Ben Daglish music is fun, kind of suits the game because it's kind of wibbly-wobbly, blibbly-bobbly, you know, you know, classic Ben stuff really but it's not ben at his greatest either it just feels a little bit it's games hard to like at the price in the end of the day for the full price that is on their full price it's hard to like i didn't get on with it at all it's not a game i ever liked either i have to say i struggle with tony crowther games I, it's, don't get me wrong tony crowther's a lovely person and ben was an amazing guy in all sorts of ways but they're just some of their games just didn't connect with me and this was one of them and i didn't like it so Sorry to say on replay, it was just 30 stages of impossible difficulty that made me just want to switch it off. What about you? Yeah, well, I, I don't know. I think I'm maybe a little more lenient on this because um, of all the Crowther games we've played, this is probably, <laughs> sounds like damn with faint praise, but this is probably the one that I slightly like the most. <laughs> <laughs> slightly like? Yeah. Does that mean you mostly so, hate it? Uh, I, don't, I didn't hate it. No, I didn't hate I, it. I just didn't uh, like un, it. Unlike, unlike you, I found it really easy. 
I don't know what I was doing wrong then because I could sort of move around the maze okay, but I couldn't. I wasn't sure because this jug get... thing was firing things at me, and I was just bouncing around a bit and just not really sure. Did what. you destroy the jug? Uh, I didn't know I could shoot anything. I fired this blob out thing, and yeah. then I wasn't sure if I all moved you do it around. Is just and... Go up to the. All you do is just go up to the side of the jug and just just hold down the fire button. Oh. Your fire, the fire thing will just hit it. You just got to hit it ten times. Oh, right, okay. If you hit the jug ten times, it sort of destroys it, and then you you sort of uh, guide your the spinny thing into what it drops, like a big diamond. Then you pick up a tin opener right so if you missed all the tin opener stuff okay. you missed all the weirder stuff yeah i didn't get to any of that <laughs> so you, you pin out, pick up the tin opener you know there's that little sort of um like uh what's the word sort of a turny bit yeah in, yeah. The, in the floor yeah if you go to that that opens up and then you go down to the next level uh, okay I'll and, get, and, then, it, and then it then. opens up and then there's a then there's a bigger level sort of thing so there's 30 of these they get bigger and there's more there's more okay, of them yeah, that sounds quite good don't expect much variation what there are just more jugs Right. Okay. Uh, so there's more jugs, and some of them have traps in them. Some of them have the tin opener. Some of them don't. So what you're looking for is the one with the tin opener, which will then open the plug to go down to the next level. Right. So there's 30 of these, and you got to get through. I got through, I think, five or five of them. None of them look particularly different. They're all very brown. Right. This game is very, very brown. Very brown. brown. Is brown. Um. And so it's a relatively simple concept, and that that was the thing that I, that I didn't mind. Once I got my head around, oh, I can kill these things. They're just because all you got because if you go right next to it, your spinny thing will kill any of the bubbles. Yeah, but I didn't kill get what the thing. That was for I thought I was meant to get out the maze, and I was kind of bouncing. Yeah, around yeah, but you and... get out the maze by destroying the jug and collecting the, uh, the collecting the no, thing inside sense, of it. Really, I just I didn't. And then, but there's other so. ones. There's other ones which will sort of um, release like trap things or things that will give you some energy back. Mm. Some will. Um, take your energy away and that sort of thing. So, so you get more jugs, so you get bigger mazes, basically. Mm. It's like a it's like a maze game. Um, yeah, yeah. And you're flying around and you're trying to figure it. So, um, but it's very brown. It, the, the scenery never changes as far as I'm, I don't know if it gets different colors it goes on, but I don't know. It's okay. It's a simple concept once you get in that. So you control that satellite. Now to me, and this to me, like if you imagine you're flying a thing with a another thing rotating around you, which you fire out to take things down. This is Whizball. This yeah. will lead to Whizball. Yeah. So obviously Whizball is far better and far more considered and a much better game. But this is this is a nascent version of Whizball to me because mm -hmm. because that's what you do in Whizball, isn't it? You fire the catalyte out yeah. to do stuff and shoot stuff, and you fire that sort of thing. Similar sort of thing. So it's a similar conceit. It's just not implemented as well, and that's the the problem is is there's a fight aside from you know bombing the jugs there's nothing else to do um yeah. and, and just either pick up or avoid what they drop um if, if there had been some more thoughts of this the game features if they're like like in Wizball, if there was something more to it we might have had a really good game here but my thought is that as we see with a lot of crowd games we saw this in trap as well it's all fancy presentation mm. it's all fancy front end and the back end is you know it is he seems to come across as a frustrated demo maker. Well, he did make demos as well. Yeah, but that seems to be where his, mm. you know, he, he likes all the fancy frippery. Yeah. And the game design, the game design, what, I don't know whether Tony Crowder, what he needed was someone to sit down with him and go, look, this is how, this is what, you've got, you're really clearly a talented programmer. You can make this program, you know, this machine do cool things, but you need someone to sit down with you and go, look, mm. this is game, you know, we need to game design here. And it's a shame that some of these games don't have someone just to step in and go, no, we need more stuff here. And he's there. So get rid of all those stupid options. Yeah. Because um, they're not needed. And so if they'd have done that, there's there's a, like you said about um, Assault Machine, there's the germ of a decent, because this, you know, there's a germ of a good idea because mm. we see it in Whizball. You know, this could have been good. And as it is, though, it's just another half-assed concept that's not given its full potential, yeah. which is a shame yeah. because it's, it's one of his more, you know, if you think about the awfulness of William Wobbler and how angry that made me. Mm -hmm. And if you think about the, the you know, the in unapproachability of something like Trap mm. and, and all these kind of things, 
he's just Crowther's games just have this you know ability just to piss you off but this felt approachable just the problem was that when you dug into it there was nothing much to it and that's a bit of a shame really because it looks okay if a bit brown and it moves all right and the music's nice but it's just there's just not enough to it no and that's a bit of a shame i thought but no, you know i agree but like i think 35 percent was perhaps a bit harsh yeah yeah in maybe. light of some of the other stuff yes in light of some of the other stuff you know, is this like fifty three percent worse than Warrior Two? Not a Canel's chance. No, <laughs> strange. There's some strange nonsense going in here. So I, I would have put this up higher personally. But you know, it is what it is. I think Kettle was. It's a missed opportunity mm. that just needed a bit more thought, thought behind the. Uh, I'll probably give it another it. go. You know, you've not missed much. I, I'll no, tell you, you no, haven't missed much. On, I feel like I've want, I want to sort of have another go and just sort of see if I can get a bit further into it. But I think it, yeah. it you know, its impenetrability just from the get go is perhaps what put me off a little bit but I'll give it another, I yeah. might give it another try just to see just I mean it's, it's weird flying a kettle being chased by because the the the, um, the tin opener it kind of flies with you but it's a bit slower so it's kind of tracking you through right. the level okay. so it's kind of weird flying a kettle being tracked by a tin opener that's, <laughs> yes. a, that's a strange thing it's like, like you know this is the tin opener that we needed to open the tin of meat in Panther <laughs> I didn't have its own tin key you could yeah absolutely it, yeah, no, yeah no. it's broken off in the in the wall oh don't when they break off and oh, no yeah it's no. a shame all it? right, well, yeah. happen. so I might give that another go and try 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 kettle another time to see if it's yeah. gonna go. But on its initial playthrough, when I went through for this, I wasn't overly impressed. Clearly, you got a bit more from it than I did. But yeah, I think if you get once you figure it out, it's uh, it's not too bad. Yeah. But you will, it's not. There's just not that much more to it. That's no, the problem. I think that'll probably be what does me in. But we'll, I'll, I will go for yeah. it. Yeah, I will do that. All right, you do that. That's nice. A nice little treat for nice. you. That's you nice. Know. That is nice. <laughs> That's nice. So let's move on to our final game. Our final game of this episode. And that is well. This is the. And there's no sizzler. There was no big titles. No sizzlers or gold medals or anything in this episode. What in this issue? Not really. Apart from this one. But this sits in the strategy section. Mm. Um, but is it a strategy game? I don't. Well, maybe it is. Maybe it I think we, we would come to know this game as not probably not a strategy game. This is the Bard's Tale. Um, so what is the Bard's Tale? Um, I think back then it, it so it got reviewed by um, in the strategy section by Sean Masterson. It was given ninety four percent. Um, it's a big old game. It's a disc-based game. It was at the time. It's fifteen pound. And this here, you know, what we have here is one of the early prototype, uh, you know, role-playing games. You know, this mm -hmm. is what this is. Let's not beat around the bush here. So before this, we'd had things like Ultima, Ultima One, Ultima Two, Ultima Three. We'd had Wizardry. We'd had those kind of things, the Temple of Apshai and stuff like that. But this kind of like came along and did something a bit different. I thought it was um, it, because what it does is essentially what we have here is is Dungeons and Dragons or Advanced Dungeons and dragons the game mm -hmm. to, to me this is one of the first games that really does go down hard down that route and 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 gives us a sort of decent graphical interface sort of slims everything down makes everything approachable um so what this game is is you you control a party of adventurers you can uh control some pre-defined adventurers uh el cid Omar, uh, Merlin, you know where this is going, those kind of characters, these kind of characters. Or you can make your own up, you know, magic users, warriors, fighters, conjurers, hobbits, halflings, all kinds of stuff. The typical advanced Dungeons and Dragons thing. Um, and you have to make your way through the city of Skara Bray, uh, which is beset by monsters uh, throughout it. You've got to find your way down um, through the town into uh into caverns and dungeons that lie beneath it make your way through them uh and eventually i think you've got to rid the town of the evil Ma magia magia or something yeah the Ma um, who was take malia or something who lives in a tower and you've got to go through the dungeons and make your way through them so it's typical sort of 
Dungeons and Dragons, you know, adventure fair. It is a town that has been besieged and sort of corrupted by the evil presence. And you've got a, you are a band of adventurers that basically has to fight your way through. You level up by killing monsters, picking up their stuff, um, and going up the levels. As you progress through the levels, you get more spells to fire and all that kind of stuff. The combat is quite nice and quick. It's turn-based. So when you are beset by seven dwarves or three hobbits or ten mad dogs or whatever it is, um, you get a series of options which say, you know, what do you want to do? Do you want to attack, defend, hide, cast a spell, use an item? And you do that for all of your party. And once you're happy with your choices, you click yes and and it all plays out so what happens is then they you know you do your attacks they do their attacks and you repeat till either you're all dead uh, or they're all dead there are a series of massive statues that block off certain parts of the uh, town around as well don't attack them <laughs> because you'll quickly end up dead uh, which is what happened to me on my first playthrough um it controls quite easily it's all keyboard controlled no joystick so it's uh, it's just all keyboard so it's uh, the spells uh, have like four letter codes that you have to type in it's easy enough to find the instructions online um, so you can find the instruction manual which is what I did to have a playthrough and I can clearly see why they've given this 94% um, I know this isn't probably your type of game but as as you know this is a so the, the screen is split up into sort of uh, three sections you have your characters down the bottom across the bottom sort of third of the screen in the top right there is the sort of information panel so similar-ish it's kind of similar in a way to Master of Magic a little bit. I thought um, and in yeah, and in the top left we have a 3D representation of the town as you move around it, which was is kind of like uh, Eye of the Beholder, uh, which come later and things like that. The Dungeon, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons games and things like that. Um, so almost you know sort of proto early sort of 3D type things. You move forward, it moves you know step step in steps forward as you come across various buildings. You can en enter them by kicking in the door, which I thought was quite nice. I always kick in the door whenever I enter any pub, um, like. To cause an entrance when i do that and so yeah it, it's it's a solid really solid base you know not basic but it's really solid quite fast as well for what it is it's pacey he's got a decent pace to it once you know what you're doing you can move around quite quickly you can do the fights pretty quickly picking up stuff equipping stuff there's a load of depth here um and i i um never really played this back in the day because it's you know it was disc based and you're not going to play this on cassette don't it's just no don't do that um so this was really the first time i really got my hands on it to actually have a good good crack at this and the the play i had of this which wasn't as long as i wanted but i, I will i am going to go back to this because i really enjoyed this i really really enjoyed this this is right up my street this is just a it just feels like a, a, a quite a, a solid you know dungeons and dragons campaign um where with a you know a decent interface and it just just plays well and i enjoyed it and i think zap was spot on the money giving it 94 percent you know i think this is a cracking game um irrespective of you know you might not like this sort of thing that's fine you don't might not like rpgs but to me this was um yeah, this was a uh, a real. This feels like a an important game, a sort of step along the route to where we will go to, you know, have a bigger, you know, more you know, impressive, you know, role playing games. But this feels like a a proper like, oh, this is important, and there will be many sequels to this. This probably clearly was popular, sold a lot. It was reviewed very well everywhere. The graphics are nice in the top left hand corner. Um, whether it's the um, sort of characters that attack you or the town itself. It's just nice. It's just a really good game. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this. I wasn't and wasn't sure what whether I would or not, or whether I find it overwearing or not. But it's actually quite it's it's quite approachable and not too impenetrable. So I really like the Bard's Tale. I have to say. Um, I don't know if you did. What did you think? I am not a fan of RPGs, really, generally, even now. But you can't deny the importance of this game. And it wasn't a game I'd really approached. And I, it's one of those games I had at the back of my disc box 
for maybe forever since I really got a disk drive. I had it at the back. I never really overloaded it up. I don't even know if it worked, actually. I probably loaded it up a couple of times. It was really slow to load originally, this, on the 1541. I do know that, which could have been my yeah, version. Yeah. And that kind of repeated logic was what happened when I tried to find a version for the podcast that worked. However, you can't deny that this game is clever and it's certainly a really good version of an RPG. Everything that you'd want from an RPG, a Dungeons & Dragons-style game, is here. Everything. Characters, enemies, the way that it handles your stats is nice and simple. The descriptions and the graphics are simple but very effective. The way you move around is once you know what you're doing, you know what you're doing. There's some really neat touches to this game. Um, I quite like the fact that um, at certain points... um, the bard's songs actually act like a spell and they can empower the yeah, party yeah. and do stuff like that. Apparently in some versions of this, I don't know if it applies to the 60-64 version, but you can import characters from other games, including Wizardry and Ultima 3, which is pretty revolutionary that you could cross-pollinate your characters from other games, if you think about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And from a playability point of view, you know, I don't, I don't generally like this kind of game. That's not a criticism of the game. The game is actually really good um, because it does th- it does the simple things really well. And we've said this so many times about games. If you're going to do a game that's and Dungeons Dragons, even now, you know, the, with Five E and the new versions, is is a very can be a very complicated adventure even if you sit and play Dungeon Dragons with a party of your friends it's a complex somebody really has to know the, the dungeon master really has to know the rules and the and the rules of which dice to throw about what and how they interact with this and it's a game of exper- experiential um, role playing led by someone that really knows that rule but like the back of the hand my eldest lad Edward knows dun- he plays Dungeon Dragons with, still to this day he's really good at it but he knows that um, monster encounter book and the rules and everything like the back of his hand like you don't need to look at the books to know which dice you need to roll for which type of encounters and what spells. He just knows that stuff. And when you play with somebody like that, it changes the experience of Dungeons & Dragons. So you're not forever referring back to the advanced Dungeons & Dragons handbook. You just, you're able to be your character in that moment, make those mm-hmm. fun, you know. And you, you almost see a bit of that if you ever watch the TV show... Um, Stranger Things in the first season of that is a really good ex- mini explanation of what it's like to play Dungeons and Dragons at that age so this is an extension of that it's a really good version it's a really good version of that kind of logic and it, it what it means is you've got an expert at the hands of the controls of the dungeons so you can concentrate on your party and your characters and the interactions and the fun and because it does that it's ex- it's an excellent game now I say not my cup of tea because I'm, I'm not a fan of games where I'm just presented with stats and bits of bobs this does do a bit more than that but it's still not quite my cup of tea however on a replay of this I was playing this for quite some time. I've made my way through to the wine cellar and there's, that's where you meet the first sort of the first dungeons in there. Following a bit of guidance, I have to say, from the old internet to sort of help me along the way. But once I'd sort of found my way with the controls and stuff, you know, it wasn't any, it didn't get any harder to control. It wasn't, and I could see how much fun you could really have with this because you could save your progress as well. Um, mm-hmm. So you could actually make, you know, character discs, you could make up your own character, you could save them. You could really personalise this. And I think those factors and this make it a very, very, very important important game because you know later down the line skyrims and and all of those games are completely reliant on the groundwork and the foundations that these bad tales and a few other games like that laid out for them that you can have party-based character-led rpgs and manage the stats and the profiles of them and have fun with them and i can imagine even if you played this with a few people if you're of the mind to play that kind of game with a couple of your friends and you had a character each you could really have a lot of fun because you are just you know diving into dungeons fighting monsters and doing all of that cool stuff with a little bit of a expert guide and for those reasons i think it well deserved its score well deserved its mm. score and it's clearly by a country mile
style, one of the best kind of these games that came out at that time. And I think for some time afterwards, because I remember that Bard's Tale resonated for ages and ages and yeah, ages. Yeah. And I think the sequels and stuff too, I, I think. So this isn't even the, this is the beginning of the journey, isn't it, for them? And it's a very clever game. Yeah. I had friends at school that raved about this. They were, they were, they were, um, they had disc drives and stuff and they were raving about it. And I was like, I really want to play it. Well, I think it came out on loads of formats afterwards. I don't think it's a game that's ever gone away anywhere. I think it's still no, it hasn't. We, you're still getting them. I mean, there's like Xbox versions and all kinds of stuff. There's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, a franchise that has stood the test of time in various ways. Absolutely. Um, you know, but that this original one um, is a very, you know, it's, it's very clever, and it's also. Um, I was reading somewhere that this uh, the guy is one of the founders of Interplay, who are one of the big sort of '90s. Um, RPG makers I think they made the original Fallout games I can't remember his name um, it, it w- was one of the people who worked on this if you um, bear with me a moment uh, it's programmed by somebody called Rebecca Heinemann this game one of the programmers yeah it? well it's oh, a, incredible that well it's originally made um, uh, originally made it's Michael Cranford that's right um, is the guy who, who made it but it was also had Brian Fargo mm-hmm. that's it so Brian Fargo is the founder of Interplay um, he had a, a additional design on this um, Brian Fargo is worked on you know Interplay in Exantainment he's done loads of stuff mm worked on tons of sort of big um you know massive massive games um throughout throughout his time so this you can see why you know these are clever rpg people yeah should we say and clever you know people who know know how to make stuff yeah um did he work on fallout he didn't work on fallout maybe he did i can't remember no it's just you know i'm just looking through his stuff but oh yeah fallout 2 and fallout yeah uh he did that he worked on those um, which are obviously you know classics, I suppose, uh, but he's just worked on tons of stuff, and so there's there's a lot of you know lineage here and heritage, and you can see it, you can just see it. It's just a great a great game, and I, and I was pleased to go back and play it because it's not something I ever really had the chance to play when I was younger, and and it's definitely definitely one that I will be playing again because I want to I want to crack down into the uh, dungeons of Scarabray. Absolutely, so I'm go- I'm going to. Just read that um, in Exile where. Um acquired by microsoft yes um and the bard's tale trilogy was released on the xbox one in 2019 i didn't know yeah. that though. if you like yeah, yeah. Uh, if you got an xbox one and you fancy it, it i think they've probably rediggied it a bit but yeah, I, would definitely, yeah I'm, I think i'll go back to it at some point i mean i i know i can um this was when i was playing it i was thinking this is just fodder for for you i mean this is right up right up your game street yeah yeah totally up yours and did you play a well if you didn't have a disc drive i suppose it would be a game that you bypassed a bit when you, back then but I suppose, you, you know, going back to it now, I think it'll be something you probably could really get into and, and revisit. So I, I hope you do, because I imagine it's right up your alley, this game. Yeah, it is. I mean, I love Dungeons and Dragons. I love these kind of fantasy mm. stuff. And this just, it's just, it plays well. And it's, yes. it stood the test of time. Absolutely. And it's fast. And it's, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna give it a crack and see, see where I go with it. But yeah, Bard's Tale. I think that's a very good uh, position to be in if you've got a RPG game like that, of that scope on the Commodore 64. And of course, as we discovered, there are multiple versions out there online, one of which is a, a cartridge version, which has been done by very, very clever people. So, you know, I doth my cap to the people who do those kind of amazing yeah. things because it just makes the game that little bit more accessible. And accessible gaming is really, really important. So I think that's really great that they did that. Indeed. There we go. So that's it. Bard's Tale, the pick of the, pick of the episode, I think. Yeah, I um, think so. For I me. think this, you know, from the budget world, I think Panther probably wins the day there. And from the, you know, full price world, I think Bard's Tale, you know, took his loot out and just smashed all the other games over the face. <laughs> There's not much competition, is there? No. It's not been a good episode. 
No, uh, some you know. I don't know if uh, in the next episode we're going to have any more exciting things, but I'm sure you can tell about, tell us about what we're looking forward to soon. What's coming up in the next episode? Mm. I certainly can because we've got no crap verts this one. There's not much going on in that way. So, um, so yeah, just so coming up in the next one. So just to round up, actually, I'll just go through what we've done this yeah, yeah. this week. Um, so we looked at Flash Gordon, which we thought was okay for three quid. We looked at a salt machine, which we you know is a that was rough and a bit dull and a bit boring and a bit less than the sum of its parts, maybe. Camelot Warriors, which is there you go, it's pure dog egg. Yep. Have, have your bingo. Um, awful awfulness. Yeah, Kung Fu Two, which was confusing and slow. Um, Warrior Two, which was hateful. Um, uh, Nineteen Forty Two, which was. Not a great conversion. Panther, so you know, meat meat packing, meat tin, meat <laughs> tin shoot 'em ups. Yeah, tinned ham <laughs> shoot 'em ups. Tin, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> humans as roll mops. <laughs> There's not enough of that in video games. There's not. <laughs> and then a game based on uh kitchen wearing kettle, which was, you know, uh, could have been could have been more interesting than what it was. And finally, um, you know, uh, but good solid RPGness with about the bard's tail. So that was our games this week. Next week, what do we have coming up? Uh we've got the rest of the games from uh January 1987 and we're going to go through Super Huey 2. Um mm. I don't know Paul, that's another Paul Normal one, is it probably? Yes, it is that Paul man Norman. is that man yeah. is pro Prolific, yep. if it is him. Uh, captured, it is. Bulldog, Crystal Castles. Uh, we've got uh, Donkey Kong. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, why, why? It's five years old. It's six years yeah. old. It's yeah, 1981. It's Donkey Kong. Yeah, Bazooka Bill. Oh, God. Uh, I Galavan. Oh, have you looked at Galavan? I <laughs> oh, haven't. Christ on a bike. Uh, I'll just <laughs> wait till I get there. <laughs> nuclear embargo um mm. which we looked at crap about so it's interesting and then we've taken a, another suggestion because i wanted to look at this because i played this back in the day and i wanted to revisit this so we've mm. gone a bit into adventure adventure alley um mm. as, after strategy street and we're going to look at the game of dracula mm. uh the three-part adventure game 15 rated so, i know yeah and it's the first first game to ever have a uh, a rating, isn't BBFC it? rating, yeah, official. Yeah. BBFC rating, yeah. So there we go. It's not not done at all for uh, promotional no. marketing purposes. Absolutely not. Not in the slightest. No, 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 no. It was genuine. Damn yeah, you for thinking really it. Was. That's a lot of them speaking my... again, isn't it? <laughs> it is. <laughs> Damn my eyes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Dracula, that'd be quite interesting. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, but that's adventure. Yeah, so adventure you alley. Practice um, your so... best Keanu Reeves Harker impression. It's oh, this gonna... He's grown young. <laughs> So let, let, let's save it, shall we, for the uh, <laughs> for the review? Because uh, I'm sure it'll be a good one. Blooming we'll wolves see how that chasing turns out. me. Blooming wolves. Those blooming wolves. There were. There was them blooming wolves in the woods. There was. No, we'll find out about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we will uh, so I think that's it there's nothing much else to say really that's uh, the first half of January 1987 um, so as ever I have been Adrian Mills I have been Graham Raddings and you have been listening to Zap to the Past and we will see you next week goodbye thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast we hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you, they can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, 
You can do so by emailing us at zappedthepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at zapptothe, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Ruddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.